horror in the house of sounds here to save the day vamps and zombies ghosts and werewolves make them go away let's talk about your favorite movies have some laughs and fun then when you're scared of deep dark shadows you won't need to run morning is coming there's nothing more to fear you can come out to play brian and jamie remember are always here And that's all there is to say. Hello, horror fans, and welcome to episode B of the Bride of ABCs of Hidden Horror. I am Jamie, and with me as always is Brian. Hello. How are you doing tonight, Brian? I'm doing a-okay. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm excited about the movies we have to talk about today. Oh, of course. Always some good... Well, that's kind of the point of the show. We bring things (laughs) we like. If we didn't like it, we wouldn't be talking about it. Exactly. um, There we go. Um, I would like to note that we didn't get anyone tell us not to thank them for being a patron. Oh, yeah. And we actually got several people who gave us the definitive okay. So, I figure we'll go ahead and thank our patrons so far. That's a good idea. As you know, as patrons, you get special bonus episodes, and we guarantee at least once a month, but so far we have gone above and beyond that. Easily. Uh, In less than a month, we've done three of them. (laughs) And we have a fourth one that'll be coming out uh, right around now. Yeah. So, uh, so far there is the spiral review that we did mm-hmm. and a quiet place too. Mm-hmm. And on both of those, we do a spoiler free section and then we give you ample warning before we go into spoilers, which we do. And then we've done one just for fun. It was the, uh, when animals attack episode. Oh, right. The very first one, it was mm-hmm. the William Girdler double feature. And then the one that should be coming out right around now is going to be our, it's going to be a list show of our favorite vampires in cinema. Yes. There we go. Lots of fun stuff there. So again, if you would like to support the show, it's just $2 a month and then you get all the cool bonus stuff. And also we did just kind of start this. We may be modifying it um adding some stuff yeah Yeah. we're good we have plans to add more stuff to it so check it out yep well so far i would like to give a very special shout out to mr venom i want to give him special praise because he was our first patron that's right even before we began (laughs) he uh, uh he jumped right on it yep and so we appreciate the support And of course, Venom is a podcaster in his own right, and I'm sure everyone out there knows who he is because he has about 50 shows. And we've recorded with him a bunch of times. That's right, yes. Uh, He does No No More Room in Hell and Fresh Cuts and Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. And honestly, I can't... About a half dozen more. (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't keep... I can barely keep track of the stuff I do, so don't feel bad. Yes. (laughs) Okay, uh, next we have... Abraham Ram, the Ram Man, who That's awesome. he does Ram Man reviews, and he has always been a big supporter. Yes. Lots of feedback, lots of interaction on the Facebook page. Yeah. 
Um, also just a very good friend. Yes. Yeah. Then we have David Michigan Garrett Jr., who is a fellow Michigander. Woo! And he's out there. Love it. He also is always all over the hopping around all of the Facebook group pages. I see him in a lot of groups and we have our little chats and he's a great guy. David also has a show called Journey with the Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. And I first came across his reviews because he would always contribute to uh, the podcast under the stairs when they Duncan invites people to do uh-huh. reviews, you know, where he includes them in the show. And, you know, I would hear his reviews over there. And so, yeah, now he has his own show. Awesome. And then we move on to Dave Z. Everyone knows Dave Z. Who? Dave Z. Oh, no, I still got nothing. No, nah, he's, uh, yeah, he's all right. He's okay. <laughs> now, everyone knows we love Dave. He used to obviously do this show with us. And, of course, he's over on Exploding Heads, killing it. And he's a very good friend. I love him dearly. Um, just all-around great guy. If you don't know his show, you should check it out. He's all right, I guess. Yeah, he, yeah he's okay. Um, speaking of another all right guy, we have Derek B., Woo! And he also does a bunch of podcasts. He, wow. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Uh, but he does whew, No More Room in Hell, Cinema Attack, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. They're here. And there are probably some others out there that I'm I'm sure there are. Because he, he has a lot. <laughs> and so he's, he's out and about. That's a very knowledgeable guy. Oh, he's a lot of fun. Extremely. And then we move on to the fabulous Debbie Lynn, who always gives us amazing feedback on stuff that she has watched because we've recommended it. And I love that. And she recently recommended a movie to us after our B episode that I'd never heard of. So we'll have to check that out based on her recommendation. Oh, and I love that, by the way. When you hear our picks for a letter, if you have a pick... Please let us know. Yeah, I, I I adore that. And it was The Broken. Have you ever seen that film? I don't think so. Well, then we'll have to check it out. It's definitely Because Debbie said so. Yes. Uh, next, we'll move on to JP. And everyone will know JP from 22 Shots of Mood and... Mood, blah, blah, blah. 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. Uh, plus, um, he's just around all over the place. He is... He's also like our biggest fan for the Colossal Collection. Oh, you know, <laughs> honestly, I love that he loves that. And we it surprises me how many people really enjoy that portion of the show. Yeah, I didn't think any... I, you know, maybe people would be okay with it, but I didn't think anybody would really actively like campaign yeah. for it. Yeah, and JP has always done that. He's always like, hey, you got any more of them Colossal Collections? Or, <laughs> you know, oh, he's, you know, so excited to hear the Colossal Collection. And, you know, I love that because I really do love doing those short form reviews. It's a lot of fun to yeah. just kind of run through things very quickly. But originally, this was something we were just doing on our own. Yeah, I never and expected people, anybody to give a damn. People were like, <laughs> you know, you should record that. You know, people would want to hear about it. So... That still surprises the hell out of me. Yeah, but hey, we're glad. And JP, love you, man. Uh, Next up is Paul Moscone. He is a guy who has been with me since HM. Since back when I used to write for HorrorMovies.ca. From Ireland. Oh, nice. And he has been around a very long time. And because that was 150 years ago that I used to be on that site. Is he a leprechaun? Yeah. 
I don't think so. I just, yeah, that's a long life. No. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it kind of depends on which leprechaun you're watching, too, because he goes from, like, 800 years old to, like, 2,300 years. I mean, he's all over the spectrum. True. Yeah. But anyway, thank you, Paul. I appreciate the support. Uh, he's always been supportive, and that means the world to me. Excellent. Thank you. And then we have a new one. Oh, yeah. Sean Sheehan, which is one of your friends mm -hmm. who really enjoys your written reviews that you do on your personal Facebook page. Yeah, my little mini reviews. And he reached out and just hopped. I think you had posted about doing a review of... It was when we did the A Quiet Place review. Yeah. As soon as you posted it, boom, we got another patron. And I was like, who? What is this? And then uh, he said, hey, I, I like your little written reviews and I want to support you guys. Yeah, that was awesome. That made me, that made me feel really good. Yeah, hell yeah. All of you guys All make us you. feel really good. I can't tell you how much it means to us that you're out there and you probably want us to shut up <laughs> blathering on about it, but it, it, I mean, I truly, truly am grateful. It's a big vote of confidence. Thank you. It is. And even if you're out there and you're not a patron, if you're just a listener, we love you too. I am extremely grateful for you as well, because otherwise we'd just be talking to each other. And I do that enough already. I don't need to do it anymore. That's the truth. I know. <laughs> All right. We're going to stop running on here and we will move on to the meat of the show. The reason that people are here. And that is our picks for episode B. And Brian, your choice is up first. Why don't you tell us what you brought to the table and tell us why you did. Okie dokie. It is Banshee Chapter from 2013. This is a very independent film, and not too many horror fans have seen it, but surprisingly, a lot of people in Lovecraftian circles have. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that, because we all talk to each other. And it's one of the few good takes on cosmic horror. And whenever that happens, we always, you know, alert everybody. So... It's basically a descendant of Lovecraft, of a Lovecraft story. Well, yes, it is. It's not really an adaptation of From Beyond, but it is almost like a expansion on that. It's kind of like what I do when I do my Lovecraftian horror anthologies. I ask the authors to take what Lovecraft did, take his sandbox, play in it, but tell me a new story. Tell me a different story and tell me something in your voice. I don't want just a recap of what Lovecraft's already done. And that is exactly what they did here. So you're not going to find the resonator or the ultraviolet light or, you know, the scientists slipping into untold dimensions and going crazy. But they do directly mention the pineal gland. Yes. There's enough links where if you are Lovecraft savvy or even if you just know from beyond well, you can see where their inspiration is. And there's actually a straight-up call-out in this film where when two people are investigating something, one of them is like, Hey, you ever read H.P. Lovecraft? He wrote a story called From Beyond, and, you know, then they go into it. So they definitely are tipping the hat to Lovecraft, which I love. Yeah, it's another cosmic horror story. I guess I'm going to give you a little bit of a forewarning. That might be my theme this year. Well, so far, it certainly seems to be with your first two films. 
probably gonna do it for D at least. I already got a movie in mind. I might do it for C. I mean, who knows? It's my favorite kind of horror. I like horror in all its flavors and all its shapes and sizes. Let's see, what did Dale say? Oh, you love rubber reality. <laughs> yes. I like boobies. <laughs> there are no boobies in this. No, there's not. But it's still a very good movie. As for the movie, enough blathering about. I love that it starts off with real world mysteries and just strange events. I love when a movie does that. They take something from our reality and they expand on it and explore it. What they do here is they take a look at the good old CIA's MK Ultra test. Now, if you don't know, back in the 60s and 70s, the CIA was very interested in mind control. They wanted to control people, not necessarily just the enemy, but their own populace, the good old US of A. To keep us pacified, to get us whipped up in case of war, to just, you know, control us. And this is not a conspiracy theory. No. This actually happened. Clinton released the papers from it. This was nasty stuff. They did a whole bunch of different kinds of tests, but one of their most infamous was they experimented a lot with LSD. More insidious. They tested that on unwilling, well, unexpecting subjects. They would get a lot of homeless people, a lot of prostitutes, because nobody cares about them but also like a lot of college kids because college kids always need money so they'd put a flyer up become a test subject and earn 50 bucks or something which if you've ever gone to a major university and probably small smaller colleges too but definitely in the major universities i know when i was at school you would always see oh yeah see bulletins up for there's always professors or some sort of academia who want to test various theories and whatnot to see if their, you know, scientific tests hold water. And that's what the CIA was doing, but a lot of people weren't told. You know, they were dosed with LSD, but they weren't told what was happening to them. And a lot of people had very bad trips and got messed up for life because of this. And in some of the cases, with the homeless and the prostitutes and all that, the, the so-called disposable people... A lot of them would have a bad trip, and the CIA would just dump them back out in the street and go, there you go, bye. And, you know, if they're going around raving that something happened to them, who's going to believe them? Who's going to believe that their own government, the good old United States of America, messed with their head like that? So that, that is something that really happened, and they begin with that as a base for the story. But then they also add another little mystery I always liked. And that's number stations. Now, for those who don't know about this, there are real-world radio stations out there that if you tune to them, they just play nonsense. They play like the same song over and over and over and over and over all day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Or, you know, some of them just have sounds. Or lists of numbers. Well, that's the thing. That's where they become number stations. Now, in between all this random noise and music, occasionally, somebody will come on and they'll read a list of numbers. 24, 87, 53, 2, 17, and just so on. And nobody knows why. Nobody knows who the hell is doing it. Convention you can look it up and hear 
recordings of yes. them on YouTube. Also, I well, I just highly recommend that anyway. Do some research on MK Ultra. Do some research on number stations. Because it's me, good this, and it's creepy. And it's real. And this stuff is really interesting. Now, conventional wisdom t- today pretty much has decided that number stations have something to do with spies. It's probably a foreign government. Most fingers point towards Russia. Well, I know that at least some of the number stations are in Russia, and I've yeah. heard them. And, you know, some are in German, some are in French. It just It's all different but the idea is this is how the government could give coded messages to their agents out in the field and not necessarily have that agent have to have a direct line of communication with the spy masters i mean all you got to do is just turn on a radio and tune it to the right frequency what's the frequency kenneth (laughs) but even that is just a theory that's the most common theory but Nobody really knows. So I love that kind of stuff. I love real-world weirdness. As for this story, a kid learns about the CIA MK Ultra tests and that they used a certain specific, highly illegal and hard-to-find drug. He gets his hands on it. And it actually begins as a found footage-type film where his buddy is filming him, and he takes this drug just to see what happens. Naturally, bad things happen. We cut to his girlfriend, who's also a reporter, and she picks up the tail and she basically says, my boyfriend's gone. We don't know what happened to him. He's just missing. And she found the video of him taking a drug, so she now picks up the investigation into what this drug is, why it was made, and what does it do to people. And that's when we get off and running, and it gets to be a lot of fun in a very creepy and disturbing way. She begins to poke around the old 60s and the the old LSD experiments. She runs into a really whacked-out author. He's played by Ted Levine, and he's basically a take on Hunter S. Thompson, And he's, you know, a gonzo journalist, and he takes lots of drugs, and he's wild and crazy. And he was also in connection with her boyfriend. Supposedly, that's where he got the drugs, so she follows it to him. And then those two go off on a journey to also find the idea of this drug. And I'm not going to give too much away. I'm not going to spoil it exactly. But the idea is... Well, the same idea behind LSD. Back in the 60s, people thought, oh, you would take this LSD and it would open your mind. And it would... Yeah, it would expose you to new vistas. And you would have new thoughts. And you would see things you never saw before. And have thoughts you never dreamed of. And it was all this hippy-dippy trippy stuff where it just... It would expand your mind. Well, the idea behind this movie is, what if it does? What if it actually does, but what it allows you to see and think and experience, you're not supposed to. It's bad for you. And there are ramifications for making this cosmic connection. So it's very much from beyond, but without the resonator and the ultraviolet light and all that, it's done through drugs. Which is a really good idea. Now, Lovecraft's 
played with that in the past, and a lot of weird fiction authors did, so that's nothing new, but it's handled here well. This whole movie is just very good. It's solid. It is a very creepy movie. Again, it has real-world connections that I love. The acting is all good, especially Ted Levine. I love him as the crazy... He's perfect yeah. in this role. I mean, he is just nuts. And I really like how it ends, too. So, yeah, I really enjoy this movie. Again, Lovecraftians may know this already, but I don't think anybody outside of the, you know, Lovecraftian fan base... I'm sure some people do, but it's... I've never heard anyone talk about it. No, it still seems to be very hidden, and that's a shame, because it's really damn good. And the director of this, Blair Erickson, sadly, he's never done anything else. Now, supposedly, on IMDb, it says he's working on something new, but there's really no information. So... Yeah, this is his one movie, and for a first movie, and only movie, I think he knocked it out of the park. What do you think of this one? Well, the first time I saw this was when you introduced it to me. Yay! And this is now my third watch. I really, really like it. I think it's brilliant how they take Lovecraft and Thompson and MK Ultra and kind of throw them in a hat and mix it up. And then they come out with this. It's really well put together. It makes sense. Oh, yeah. And it blends beautifully. It's So it's well written. Ted Levine, as you've already mentioned, he just kills it with his basically Hunter S. Thompson impression. Yeah. Is, but it's, uh, he nails it. He was perfect for this role. Yeah, yeah, but really all the performances are, are very good. And there are, really aren't that many. It's a very small cast. But it's done really well. And yes, it is low budget. And you can tell that it's low budget, but it doesn't feel cheap. No, no. You know, at all. It's really well done. I highly recommend it, particularly if you are into mysteries like the number stations. Or if you are into the dark side of our history like the MK Ultra experiments. Or if you just like, you know gonzo stuff like i don't know it's <laughs> it's really really cool i can't i just recently recommended this to a friend of mine who had done a review of hunter s thompson's book oh. uh, fear and loathing in las vegas okay and he just did a written review of that and i'm like hey since you're on this hunter s thompson kick why don't you check out this movie and uh i don't know i don't i don't think he has yet but if you are interested in checking it out, I did some research to see where you could find it because we actually have it on DVD. But you can find it on Tubi for free and you can rent it on Apple TV. Nice. So there's that if you want to check it out. Otherwise, I'm sure you could pick up the DVD somewhere. Oh, yeah. I think I just found it on eBay or something. So, yeah. Actually, I know. I got this in for review and I was surprised by that because I didn't know anything about it. So I recommend it. Oh, I think it's a good pick, and especially since I don't ever hear anyone talk about it. So, well, excellent. Good on getting it out there. I'm glad you liked it, and I hope you all give it a chance and you end up liking it too. As always, if you do, please let us know, or even if you don't, let us know. Yeah, we like feedback. Either way, yeah. <laughs> you know, we just like to know what you think. You don't have to agree with us. We, you know, we don't expect everybody to, but I'm hoping you would like it. 
And it's not a found footage film. It's funny, the first time I'd seen this, I think I I mentioned or I was talking to somebody about it and they're like, yeah, it's pretty good found footage. But it actually isn't. There's found footage segments in it, but it's mostly a traditional narrative, but the camera is all handheld and it's very floaty and movie. Not obnoxiously. So. No, it's not going to make you sick or anything no. like that. It's, it's, not it's, a lot it's of like a real cam. movie. But I did say while we were watching it this time that it could easily have been translated into a found footage film if they had chosen to go that route. Oh, yeah. And I just wonder why they didn't pull that trigger and just make it all found footage. But I think it worked because there's there's videotape. There's old movies from the 70s when the government was doing their experiments. There's new video and there's like security video and the main protagonist speaks into a, a video recorder at times recording her thoughts but for most of this movie it is the whole third person narrative the camera you know objectively watching everything that's going on so it's a neat neat choice that there might be another movie that does that it mixes oh there are several okay i thought i'd seen it before but here i think it just works really well in my opinion i think uh I like the blending of the two types. Anyways, you got anything more to say about this one? No, I just recommend it. Okay, well, so do I. But uh, with that said, let's go to your pick. Well, my pick is a little more mainstream, although I don't know how many people saw it. I think that was part of the problem is that it didn't get seen. Sadly. And that is Black Death from 2010 by Christopher Smith. And we are big Christopher Smith fans I love in this house. Christopher Smith. If you are unfamiliar with the name, then uh, he did things like Triangle, Severance, Creep, not the new one, but the Subway movie. Yes. And then this one, and sadly, this is the last movie of his I've seen. Now, he's actually done a few movies after this. He did one where it's basically, and I don't know why, but it's a family Christmas movie. And I'm like, well, I have no desire to see that. But he then did something called Detour. I just recently found out about it because it is newish. It's from uh, 16, well, I guess it ain't too new now. Oh, he recently did The Banishing. That's the one that came out 2020 or this year? I think it was done in 2020. But I think it finally started reaching people uh, yeah, this year. Yeah, and uh, the Exploding Heads guys did a review of that. And I think I've heard a couple of other people talk about it. We we haven't seen that one. No. All right, okay. I've seen, see, that's what I'm talking about. i got to check and see if, I've, if we've seen stuff sometimes. I didn't, sadly, hear very good things about it. Oh. But I do want to see it anyway because it's Christopher well, Smith yeah. and, and we like Christopher Smith. But um, the reason I chose Black Death is because I think it's a film that a lot of people kind of maligned when it came out. And to tell you the truth, I think that it came out just a little too early. It came out in 2010, but I tell you, I think if it came out this year or any time in the last five years or so, it probably would have fared much better. I think he was just ahead of his time because it's basically folk horror. Yeah. Which has seen a big resurgence oh, yeah. lately. And now it does focus on Christianity, but 
it's still folklore. Yeah. So this takes place during uh, during the Black Plague, and so it's in the 1300s, and you have Sean Bean, who he and his group of men have heard of a village that has been untouched by the pestilence, and they believe that there is a necromancer in the village, and basically they think that there are nefarious reasons that this village hasn't been tested, uh, hasn't been touched. So they are sent by the church to check this out and see what sort of satanic stuff might be going on there, because clearly it must be. Well, they go to a monastery to try to find a guide to get them to the area where it's uh, it's basically beyond a marsh and it's very difficult to find. So they're looking for a guide, and there is a monk there, a young monk, he's a novice, whom is from that area and is actually looking to go back there because his love has absconded <laughs> like he sent her to go back home uh, where to get out of the city basically to get away from the plague and he wanted to get back there and he you see a, a, a scene where he's praying you know like you know get, show me a sign and as he's praying to god to show him a sign as to what to do like whether he should leave the monastery or stay put these guys ride into the city looking for a guide and so he offers to be their guide and then the a good chunk of the film is them traveling to get to this town and on the way they come across a witch burning well she's almost burned yeah <laughs> and then they come across some thieves in the forest and you know it's just basically it's kind of a good picture of just how dangerous it was Back yeah. then, it's kind of un it's an unlawful time. The ye old days were not good days. No, it's scary out there, and a lot of that fear comes from people doing things in the name of God. Mm-hmm. So finally, they get to this town, and then they meet these people, and yeah, no one there is sick, and these people are so nice. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They live a very simple life. Everything is clean. Everything is just happy and everyone gets along. And so right away, you know, something's not right. Basically, they get to this town and people don't have shit all over them. So something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the head of this village is played by the beautiful Carice Van Houten, whom Game of Thrones fans will know as Misandra. The Red Witch. And it's funny because I didn't realize that she was in this film because when this movie came out, obviously Game of Thrones wasn't a thing. So I didn't remember her, but when we're watching this movie, I was like, God, she's pretty. And she's a blonde in this film. I'm like, God, she's so pretty. Like, she's just pretty. And then it struck me who she was. So I looked it up and, yep, that's who it was. So that's pretty neat. That's two Game of Thrones alumni right there. And I'm sure this is an English film. A lot of English actors. I'm sure more were in Game of Yeah, there probably are. That Maybe I just didn't recognize them. But, so they get to this village and everything seems on the up and up. What could go wrong? But is it really? Well, it wouldn't be much of a folk horror if strangers arrived in a small village where everything seemed okay and then it ended up being all right. Like that wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't really be all that scary. So, what I find most appealing about this film is that there are things going on, and you can look at it one of two ways. 
either this woman really is a necromancer because we actually do see a scene where she tells the monk that his lover whom had gone missing and he found remnants of her enough to make him believe that she had died in the forest well that he actually comes across her body in this village now either this woman really is a necromancer because we see her bring someone back from the dead or she later on tells him no i was lying to you i drugged her you know she was never dead so either there is something supernatural going on or there isn't it's very ambiguous it is and that's what i love about it is mm -hmm. because there is enough there there's enough meat on those bones to where you could make up your mind in either direction and you wouldn't be wrong you can look at it however you choose to look at it and that is the one thing i love most about this film and then you know it goes past the what goes on in the village and then we kind of see what happens years down the road to one of these characters i don't really want to spoil it because i have a feeling a lot of people didn't see it yeah but you see what happens down the road to one of these characters and it's very tragic i love that epilogue it, the, it's really good it's really really good it's so good so what we have here is another example of blending real life horror yep. when it comes to things like the plague and even witch burnings and and all the mindsets that were going Random on at the time. Bandits in the woods. And you know, is this village protected from the pestilence because she is a witch? Or is this village protected from the pestilence for the simple reason that they're out in the middle of nowhere yeah, it's and isolated. no one has brought it to them? you can make that decision on your own and kind of go in whichever direction you want but i love that because christopher smith takes real life horror and then blends it with what may or not be supernatural and he allows you to make up your own mind and you can choose to see it however you want to see it either way you look at it i think it's equally horrible i agree and uh, I'm glad you picked this one because I had seen this movie once before when it first came out and I wasn't really a fan. I thought it was okay, but being a film by Christopher Smith, I was expecting more. And when it didn't deliver that, I was like, eh, you know, it's okay, but meh. So I didn't even have it in our collection until you brought it. I think you picked it up recently, didn't you? I did. Well, because I realized, it, it's funny, when we were going through the bees, I realized there was a gap. Like, why don't I own this movie? So I bought it. <laughs> Just because I wanted it in our collection. And on the second viewing, I like it a whole lot more. I don't know. That happens every once in a while. Sometimes just things strike you wrong the first time or better the second time or whatever. We call that the Dave Z second time watch. There you go. But uh, I don't know why I just did not like it the first time around. Because it's very effective. It is very... It seems historically accurate. He, you know, I actually have read some articles where he wanted to get make it as historically accurate as he could but there are some things he embellished yeah you know? well yeah that's like, what i was gonna say like there's the iron maiden yeah um that witch cages were a thing 
but not but, that one. But not that particular one. He made it a little bit more horrible than it actually was in real life, just to kind of amp up the horror, but he based it on reality, and he really did try to keep it as accurate as he possibly could. I like the troop of soldiers going out to this village. Uh, very much a band of brothers kind of vibe there. I love Sean Bean in this, but then again, I usually love him in everything. He's basically Boromir. Yeah. I mean, seriously, he looks exactly like like he f- was filming Lord of the Rings and then stepped out of that. And, and, of course, this is like a decade later, but he looked like he stepped off the set of Lord of the Rings and stepped right into the set of this. Because if you remember what he looked like as Boromir, that's pretty much what he looked like here. But I, I liked that. And I like that... that a good chunk of the movie is basically like a, a quest film, yeah. you know, where they're going on a medieval quest. Now, I will put in a qualifier there that some people might be turned off by that. If you don't like historical fiction or if you don't like period pieces, then you may think it's boring, but I implore you to just give it give it time let him get to the and just allow the horror to unfold and uh, you know let yourself sink into it and i gotta tell you the first time i watched this i might have been chemically enhanced (laughs) i'm not saying i was i'm just saying it's a possibility but the first time i watched this film i found myself just going off on these you know these head tangents where you start thinking about reality and and you know suddenly you're a philosopher and it but it was a brilliant experience i loved that experience because this film gave it to me it made me think and it makes me it makes you think about how we treat each other as a society oh yeah humanity basically sucks we are yeah we always have this right here is proof (laughs) that we always have it's been almost a century yeah and we're not any better no I would say this is horror with a little H, but it's still a horror film. It takes a while to really creep in and seep in, because most of this is just factual horror. This is real world stuff. This is how the world was, or supposedly how the world was. I don't know. I wasn't there, but this is how historians often portray it, and just how messed up and how dirty and how bloody and how violent everyday life was. We really think now when somebody, you know, kills somebody or there's a murder spree is so shocking. And it should be. That's horrible. But back then, that was like Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. It was just a thing. And just to see this, how casually, how cruel they can be and how just vicious and just, oh, well, that's, that's what you do. I want to say if I think you would definitely like this if you like things like Midsommar or The Wicker Man or even The Ritual even though The Ritual has some flat out supernatural aspects to it. The other ones don't but if you like those things you will definitely like it but then I'm kind of afraid to say that because a lot of people don't like those things. I don't want to turn them off but and you kind of have to decide for yourself, I guess, after what we've been saying, whether or not you want to give it a shot. But I am curious to see who out there has seen it 
and what they think of it. Because I really don't hear everyone. Because um, I really don't ever hear anyone talk about this movie. No, and you're right about that. For me, it's a shame because I think it's a really good effort put forth by Smith, and I think it kind of got smothered. Yeah. And like I said, I think if it came out now, it would probably get a little more acclaim. Oh yeah, because like you said, uh, folk horror is hot now. This is an example of that, but it it probably was ahead of its time. So, what do you think of it? Well, you said you what you liked it a lot better this time than you did the first time you saw it. Yeah, I pretty much you know said my piece on it. I like it a lot. I like everybody in it. I also want to give a shout out to Eddie Redmayne. He plays the young monk, and I thought he was really good in this. Oh, he's really good, especially he makes some his character arc is very interesting very and really tragic and i again i love the epilogue to this movie but he goes from a very innocent novice monk i just love how everybody keeps calling him a boy he's just a boy leave the boy alone and I'm like, he's, you know, he looks like he's in his 20s <laughs> back then that wasn't a boy no that's true you were practically an old man yeah <laughs> His arc is definitely my favorite. I mean, it really is. It's his story. Yeah, it it's, is. It's from his point of view. But Sean Bean is straight up badass. He is. But he's a very... There's a lot of... There are a lot of badass guys. And there's some really good fight scenes. Oh, yeah. And some brutality. And quite a bit of humor. Yeah. It's, you know, it pretty much has everything you need for a good dramatic movie. And I really liked it. All right. Well, I guess then... That will wrap it up for this segment of the ABCs of Hidden Horror. Oh, sorry. The Bride of the ABCs of Hidden Horror. Excellent. I don't yet know what we're going to be watching for episode C, but usually when we figure it out, I'll post it on the Facebook group page. If you are not yet a member of the Facebook group page, you can hop over to Horror in the House of Salmons. That is the name of the group page, and we're over there. Come say hi if you don't already. If you actually use Facebook, I know a lot of people hate it. Well, that's true. We should probably get a Twitter. Well, we used to have one, and I hate Twitter, so... (laughs) (laughs) I just... uh, Such a cesspool over there. I like Twitter, but then again, I like the people I'm following. I don't... Just like Facebook, I don't browse too much. I like the people who I know, and that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. But, okay, we're going to duck out for now, and then we're going to come back with our topic of discussion for this episode. So, we will see you then. Bumps in a night. Okay, we're back, and this is the Bumps in the Night segment. Where we talk about some real-life stuff, just, uh, you know, give people an opportunity to get to know us a little bit more. And, of course, we welcome questions and 
topics of conversation. If there's anything that you'd like to hear our opinions on or experiences with or anything like that. Ooh, maybe we'll make that a Patreon level. Isn't that what some podcasts do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. See? Uh, and, well, our first one, the very first one, did actually come from a patron. That's awesome! <laughs> sort of. I mean, she just asked the question. You know, it had nothing to do with Patreon, but it just so happened she's a patron. So if you want to ask a question for free, mm -hmm. get on Facebook now. Yeah, before... <laughs> um, yeah, before the window closes. No, I don't, that's... I'm, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. No. But, but seriously, if you, if you want to know anything, just ask. Please do. But, so for this episode, we're going to be talking about some real-life scary experiences that we've had. Yeah. And you've already heard in the last episode that I can pretty much be a Freddy cat, so I have quite a few. And then Brian has a couple that he can share too. So they could be paranormal, they could be strange, they could just be scary. Yeah, something that scared us at, at the time. More than, let's say, an accident, you know, being in a traffic accident. That's scary, but that's common. I'll start off, and I guess I'll start with one that scared the shit out of me, and that is my experience with a shadow person. Ooh. Now, you've heard of shadow people, yep. right? Yeah. They often wear hats. <laughs> they, and mine did. Of course. Uh, there are documentaries about them you can go on youtube and see videos about people sharing stories you can go online and read i think there's actually a reddit for it but it's a very common thing and when i experienced this i didn't know that well that's the thing a lot of people don't they say i've never heard of it and i didn't know this was a thing and it's only after the fact they look into it and they go wow this is happening to other people right well that's exactly it is that you start to look into what's going on and then you realize holy shit this is a common thing so when i experienced this i wasn't heavy into the internet yet this is well it was like right around the early 2000s and the internet was around but i wasn't on it all the time like i am now <laughs> i was living alone now this is incidentally the the same apartment that people will know from the grudge story that I told in the last episode. And, you know, this is where this is when I was living alone in a little apartment. This actually happened over numerous nights, but there was one night that was particularly bad. So I would be laying in my bed and the, the way my room was set up is I had a chest on one wall that had my television on it, and it was a little TV, like a little 19-inch, uh, 25-inch, something like that. And it was an old CRT. Mm -hmm. I actually still have it. It was <laughs> I've had it since I was 15. Or is it in the garage? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but it was up on the chest, and I was facing away from it as I was in my bed, and I was facing toward my bedroom door, and directly across the hall from my bedroom was the entrance to the bathroom. So the bedroom door and the bathroom door were aligned. You could walk, you could do a straight line from my bedroom to the bathroom. And there was about a three foot gap of a hallway because this was just this little tiny one bedroom apartment. So I was laying in bed one night and I was facing first the TV. 
I had I was lying on that side and I happened to look up at my television and it was off because I don't like sleeping with the TV on I never have and I could see what looked like a shadow leaning in and it would it would sometimes it would kind of lean in and appear and then it would lean back and then lean in and appear and it would lean back and I was like what is that it was clearly a reflection of something so I turned over to see what it was a reflection of and that's when I saw it it was a shadow and I would say probably about six feet tall like a just a your average man size and it was a guy wearing a hat and he would lean did he have fingers like knives no oh it's like he would lean in from the bathroom like he was in the bathroom and he would kind of lean into the doorway and then lean back but it was just enough so that it would make a reflection on my tv hello and (laughs) i would just stare at it and watch it the first couple of nights I just told myself, I was like, huh, you're seeing things or you're sleepy or whatever. Well, for whatever reason, one night I was laying there and I saw it and it leaned out and it just stood there. It's like it was watching me and I couldn't see any features. I couldn't see any eyes. It was just a shadow, but it stayed there. And then I moved my arm like I was going to turn on my bedside lamp because I was starting to get freaked out. So I reached my arm over to turn on the bedside lamp and it like whipped itself back in the bathroom really fast. And it scared me to death because I was like, fuck, it can see me. And you know how I am when the monster can see me, right? I'm like, it's watching me, it's watching me, it's watching me. So I leaped out of bed. I just grabbed the first thing I saw, which I think was like a nightgown or something. I just grabbed the first thing I saw, grabbed my keys and ran out the door and I had to run past the bathroom to get to the front door and normally this is how scared I was because typically I'm that person who will lay in bed and not breathe like Mm -hmm. I will be terrified but I won't move because I'm always afraid that if I move it'll draw attention to me but this scared me so bad that I ran right past it and I just took off and it was probably at three o'clock in the morning And I ran over to, I didn't run, I drove over to my friend's house, Jen, the same one who I made stay the night with me after I watched Insidious. And I'm banging on her door, just banging on her door. And she was in the living room, but she was high and she didn't hear me. So I had to go to the window by the couch and I'm just banging on the window. Scared the shit out of her. And then she came and let me in and she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, there's something in my apartment. And so I slept on the couch at her house that night and then I got up at like six o'clock in the morning and drove back home and then got ready for work I didn't spend the night there again for several days (laughs) I I just I didn't want to be there well I can't blame you so you ever see him again no (laughs) I didn't after that I never saw it again and I I to this day don't know what it was I'm not saying definitively it was a ghost I don't know what it was. I will tell you this, though. Shortly after that, I went to the doctor and I got him to give me some sleeping pills because I couldn't sleep. And after that, I haven't seen it anymore. And I I think, I mean, if I'm being straightforward, I think it probably was my brain fucking with me. Because of lack of sleep? I think I had, yeah. I think I had a lack of sleep. I was exhausted and my mind was just playing tricks on me. 
Like, I don't truly think there was anything paranormal there. But it still scared the hell out of you. Well, hell yes, it did. You know, <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, I think a combination of lack of sleep. And then there just were some things in, going on in my life right then that I was really stressed out, you know. And I think all of that just came to a head at that moment. And I had like a little mini breakdown or something. I don't know. But after that, I never saw it again. And I went back to living in my apartment and I've been fine ever since. But that was, I'm telling you, for me to break and run, when, when it hits that point, that means I'm beyond terrified. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been quite that scared of something in my life. <laughs> And it was like the end of the Amityville horror, you know, when they just, <laughs> they're just like, nope, and then they drive out of there. That was pretty much it. Like, I seriously just grabbed my keys and, and just took off. And I also didn't have a cell phone at the time. So, I mean, I had a phone phone, but I didn't, I'm not going to stop and make a phone call. So she had no idea it was coming. So there's my first story of just being truly real life terrified now i want to know like for have you ever seen a shadow person oh of course not no okay i am curious to know if anybody else out there has because i know a lot of people have yeah. you know and i think i really do think that it is a symptom of something going on in your brain i think your brain's just fucking with you you know and there like i said there were a lot of things going on in my life that led to a lot of stress and a lack of sleep and I truly believe that's what it was but I don't know I'm curious to see what anybody else thinks yeah. so that's my first story okay my first one is not all that great of a story but it's something that stuck with me for you know years and years and years uh, I was a little kid when this happened and uh, of the two well neither of them are supernatural of the two, this is the most real of the two, and let me say of the two again. But I think the second one is scarier, at least it's always affected me more. Anyways, do you want to see a dead body? Do do do, do do do, do do do. Yeah, I get it, stand by me. <laughs> I was a kid. You and Teddy Duchamp went looking for. <laughs> no. I was a kid living in Michigan, and I still live here. We, at the time, lived in the suburbs of Detroit in a city called Warren, but we had, like, some property up north, as many Michiganders do. Going up north is a regular thing here. And it was out in the country, and there was nothing around it. It was just some place to get away to. We would go there in... Yeah, never in my life have I lived anywhere where everyone had a second home. Yeah. It's, it's, a, just, it's it, a thing. It is a thing. And uh, that was up in Kalkaska, which is about the middle of the state, give or take. And we would go up there summers and winters, just whenever we had extra time to mess around. And this is one time we went up there. And by we, I mean my family. Uh, my mother, my brother, me... Sometimes it would be friends or other family members. Anyway, so we went up during winter. And what we would do up there in winter, another big hobby in Michigan in the winter is snowmobiling. And we had Makes a couple, sense. Yeah, we had a couple snowmobiles. And that's always been a lot of fun. You just, you know, get on them and zip around and it's just fun. I was too little to ride one myself. 
but my brother, who was several years older than me, he would ride it and I would hang on to his back and we would just go all over. You had all these backwood roads, nobody around. You, we had, there was a pipeline and there was some old train tracks. I mean, there was just a lot of territory to cover. So one day we get out and we go for a snowmobile ride. He's driving, I'm hanging on and we're just going and it's great and fun. And we go zipping past all these woods, naturally. And he didn't notice it, but I saw that there was a snowmobile to the side of the road, into the woods. Kind of like, uh, it was lopsided. It was, I could see the back of it. And when we passed it, I could see that smoke was coming out of it. Not like it was on fire, but like it was still running. So I banged on my brother's shoulder and I said, hey, there's a snowmobile back there. And he's like, yeah, I go, it's on. There's a, there's a snowmobile to the side of the road. And he's like, oh, okay. We turned around, came back, found it. And we could see that somebody was sitting on a snowmobile, slumped over. And we he called out, you know, hey, you okay? No call back. So my brother told me, just stay here, don't, just stay here. And he walked out. He went to the guy and quickly ran back. And next thing I know, we're hauling ass back towards our home, because this is before cell phones or anything. And I kept asking, what's going on? And he, playing Big Brother, was just like, forget about it, we just gotta go back. I guess the guy was dead, so... Uh, you have never told me this story. I thought I did. Because I was very young, I, it's something that I don't talk about a lot, but it's always been with me deep in the back. I mean, it wasn't hor It wasn't like he was bloody or, you know. No, but that's horrifying for a little boy. Well, yeah, I mean, in a special, I mean, that was my first encounter with death. You had never had a family member no, or anything? not like until that. then. See, that's terrifying. So we got back, we went inside, he called the cops, told them where it was at. I mean, we didn't go back to see him. I don't know. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't know how he died. But, yeah, it was a dead body. So I wonder if he had, like, a heart attack? I'm you know? guessing. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was driving, somebody shot him. <laughs> he could have had a brain aneurysm. There's 101 ways he could die. But I'm guessing he was driving his snowmobile, having a good time like we were, and just died. And then the snowmobile went off the side of the road. You know, though, if it was still running, I assume that means... He hadn't been there all that long because snowmobiles don't have that big of a gas tank. Well, no, but they could run a while just idling. I mean, he wasn't snow covered or anything. He was just uh, a dude off the side of the road, slumped over. That's what I saw. But just the thought that that was a real live dead body. I mean, that messed up me as a kid. It didn't really give me too many nightmares. Like, it didn't wake up screaming or anything. Although I do remember having dreams about it and being frightening, but nothing as dramatic as ah or anything. Uh, but yeah, it was scary. <laughs> well, just think, I don't know, think about the horrors of it. What it reminds me of, like immediately, the first thing that comes to mind are all those dead bodies you see on Mount Everest. Oh, yeah. That have been there for decades and they can't, you know, most of them, they can't get them down because it's too dangerous yeah. to even go up there and retrieve the dead bodies. I mean, the people that died there, 
died there for a reason, and it's too dangerous. Although some of them are actually used as uh, landmarks. Yeah. You know, so... Markers. And every once in a while, they'll have, like, a special expedition where they will get a bunch of people together, and they'll bring stretchers or whatever. They'll make a specific trip to bring bodies back. But most of them just stay up there. But see, that's kind of horrifying to me, because if you guys are out in the middle of nowhere, and if you hadn't come along... Yeah. Who's to say when someone would have, and he could have been out there for a very long time, yeah. and maybe even gotten covered by snow, because Michigan gets its snow dumps. Yeah. You know, that's just, that's eerie. And then, you know, someone was probably wondering where he was, you know. Yeah, I wish I had more information. I wish I knew who he was, um, how he died, but I don't. It was again. I was I was very little, and my brother did his best to protect me from it, to keep that information from me. I've talked to him since, obviously, and we don't talk about it much. But every once in a while, we'll bring it up, and you know, that's it. It just there ain't there's no more information. Hmm. But well, very creepy. That was something that happened. Now, by the way, if you guys are morbid like I am, and you want to see something creepy, if you never have. Um, look up the the Mount Everest dead bodies. There are a lot of photos, and it's just, it's eerie. Yeah. And it's really kind of tragic and sad for me to just imagine being dead somewhere for so long. Your body's there. People know. And it's just, that's just all there is to it. get you, yeah. That's interesting, because I, I, I did not know that. Again, I, I thought I told you, but I just hmm. must not have told this story in a while. Well, that's very creepy, mm-hmm. you know, especially for a little boy. Okay, well, um, my next story is, this one is paranormal. And I know, I know, you don't believe in ghosts, but... I'm agnostic. They could exist, but I've never seen one. I would need to see proof. I would need well, have a ghost you, appear in front of me. If then you I'll wanted to see proof, then you can come stay in the house I used to live in, in Bogart, Georgia. Bogart. <laughs> and this was when I was in my 20s. And I had two roommates. And we moved in this house. Well, it wasn't until after we moved in that we learned it was a very tiny town. I'm talking Bogart had one traffic light and seven churches. Well, of course, because it's Georgia. <laughs> and one convenience store. And that's it. You couldn't, there, there were no restaurants, no other stores, nothing. It was, it's one of those little towns that's right, the, the actual town is right off the railroad track. You know, so the railroad track runs through towns. And there's about seven, you know, not even, it was one long building, but it included the, you know, the city hall, which was like nothing. And no storefronts. They didn't even have a police department. They were policed by the county sheriff. And then there were, you know, houses. It was an old town um, with old houses. And I loved it because our neighbors weren't very close by. It was very private. It was out in the country. It was cool. I really liked living there. But the house that we lived in, we learned was called (laughs) in the town... The house of the mayor that died. That's, and that's nice. Because the one of the former mayors of the town had died in that house. He lived there. That was the mayor's house. And he died. And we didn't know that until after we moved in. And creepy things were happening. 
and we started talking to people, and that's when we found out. But, and I mean, mostly innocuous things, like the paper towel roll would end up in the oven, or in the dishwasher, or something that, something simple. Like, you know, messages written on the wall, vote for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shortly after we moved in, one of the first experiences I had was my roommate, Jen. You guys hear about her a lot, but she had the room next to mine and she was painting her bedroom right after we moved in. So she was sleeping in the living room because of the paint fumes. Well, in the middle of the night, I was awakened by knocking on the wall that was coming from her bedroom. Was somebody holding your hand? No. Um, (laughs) I thought she had gotten up in the middle of the night and decided to work on her room. So I got up and went in there. Her light was off. There was nobody in her room. So I went back into the living room and there she was, sound asleep on the couch. So it wasn't her. Our other roommate, Keith, he always kept to himself. He was like in his room and he kept his door closed. and, And we were friends, but... He liked his alone time. So he wasn't out and about. And I thought, well, that's weird. So I just went back to bed. I never felt frightened. A lot of stuff happened there, but I never felt frightened. You would hear footsteps. You would see shadows cross doorways when you were the only one home. My dog would often stand on the corner of my bed and bark ferociously at the corner of my bedroom. Just, I mean, viciously, like she was getting ready to attack. And she would do that in the middle of the night, and I thought someone had broken in. Like, I I can't tell you how many times it woke me up in the middle of the night because I thought she was barking at an intruder. But I would turn on the lamp, and there's nobody there. She's just growling and barking at the corner, and there's nothing over there. There was one night when we went down to Atlanta to visit my family, and I put her in my bedroom and closed the door, And when I got home that night, she had come through my bedroom door to get out of my bedroom. See, Fester's freaked out. Yeah, you got him scared. (laughs) She'd come, like, chewed her way through a giant hole. Just chewed a giant hole through my bedroom door to get out of my bedroom. She did not like it in there. There was another time when there were about seven of us, and we had uh, a dinner party. And after dinner, we all went outside onto the deck... And we're just sitting around, drinking, you know, smoking, chilling, whatever, talking. Sounds like a Kid Rock song. Yeah. (laughs) And all the windows are open, and we heard this really high-pitched child's laughter come from inside the house. Well, we didn't have any neighbors that were close, so it wasn't coming from a neighbor's house. The first thing that one of my guests said was, hey, did you leave the TV on or something? And I was like, well, no. I mean, we don't... I've never been one of those people that leaves the TV on all the time. I just don't. If I'm not watching it, it's not on. But I went back into the house just to check. Maybe the stereo was on. Maybe someone had turned on the TV. I don't know. Maybe someone had wandered into our house. If that were the case, our two dogs would have freaked out like they would have they were barkers they would have let us know but there was no one in the house nothing was on and everyone that was on that deck including my roommate Keith who always refused to believe anything was going on in that house he heard it too 
And I looked right at him and I was like, explain that. And he couldn't. There was no explanation. And people were kind of scared after that. (laughs) One night I was on the phone and I was telling him about all the stuff that was going on in our house. And every single time I would bring up the house, the phone would start crackling and go dead. Did it burn your hand to give you? No, no, no. I know you're saying it's just like Amityville, but I'm t- <laughs> it, it happened. And at first I didn't think anything of it because we had a cordless phone and we're out in the country. And I was like, well, maybe it's just a bad phone line. I don't know. I don't know. But I didn't think anything of it at first, except I would call him back and we could talk about anything else. And as soon as the house came up, the phone would go dead every time. And we're shy. Maybe so. I don't know. The funny thing is, I never felt scared. I saw all these things, and I heard all these things, but I was never uncomfortable. It never frightened me. But I did have a friend who came up to visit from Atlanta, and he wouldn't sleep in that house unless (laughs) we all slept in the living room together on pallets. If he had to sleep on the couch by himself, he was going to drive all the way back to Atlanta. (laughs) So... Uh, and I was like, you know, why? You know, because as far as I knew, he'd never experienced anything. And he's like, I don't know. I just don't like it. This house creeps me out. I don't want to be in here by myself. I'm like, okay. So we all slept in the living room. And do you know, after I moved out of that house, how many of my friends said things like, oh, thank God I can come visit you again. Or, man, I am so glad you left that house. And I would always ask him, like, Why? What's wrong with that house? They could never tell me anything specific. They never had any experiences there, but they just didn't want to be there. It just didn't feel right. And so people that used to visit me on a daily basis before I moved into that house would only come over periodically. And then after I moved out of that house, they started visiting me on a daily basis again. People that would come and spend the night with me before and after wouldn't stay in that house overnight. And no one ever wanted to be in that house by themselves. I don't know. Like I said, I was never scared of it, but a lot of stuff happened. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. And my dog hated that house. But, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. I always thought it was interesting. Well, yeah. I was just thinking, I wish you, well, not that you still live there because we live here now, but I wish... We had a way of going there and spending a night or something. Because, again, I don't believe in ghosts, but I want to. I'd love to see something. Man, that's not the first place I've ever experienced stuff like that. And I'm talking, I'm not even referring to the Shadow Man. Because, like I said, I've already come, I have come to my own conclusion that I don't think that was anything supernatural. I think it was just my brain. This house was not me. It happened to everyone. And uh, Jen, she'll tell you, she experienced just as much as I did. And so did Keith, even though he is never willing to admit it. <laughs> he would, he will not admit it, but he was there. And I know for a fact he experienced just as much as I did. And he won't talk about it. That's uh, some of the stories of the house of the mayor that died. I do love that name. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, we always loved it. I've often thought about going back there and just asking people who live there now if they ever see or hear anything. Well, that's what always gets me about haunted houses. Everybody, oh, it's so horrifying and spooky, and I saw all this stuff and bleeding walls and ghosts and pig people and all that. Then they move, and the next family that moves in, they don't see nothing. 
for years and years and years, nothing. Then the family after them, they don't see nothing. For years and years and years, nothing. Well, I mean, like I told you, after stuff started happening and we would talk to people in the town, that's when we discovered that it actually did have a reputation. Mm, okay. So, I don't know... Our landlords never disclosed anything to us because well, this not. was a rental <laughs> property and they never said anything about it. And we never asked them about it, but because we didn't want to look crazy, but um, it did have a reputation in the town. So maybe that's why. I don't know. Weird. I, I have to say, I do believe it though, because I was there. Okay. So uh, what's your next story? My next one is still a mystery to me. Now, it probably has a mundane answer, but I can't tell you what that is because I've thought about it a lot and it, nothing really adds up. There's another story that happened to me as a kid, but I was more of a teenager. In fact, no, not more of. I was a teenager. We were living in Clinton Township, and in Clinton Township, they had the Clinton River. I know, big surprise. And the Clinton River is long. It just goes on and on and on. And we had a big patch of woods there. And that's where we'd always hang out and play and just party. We actually had a hole in the ground where we'd build bonfires and hang out. And we always called it the party pit. And uh, whatever. So this is during high school, summer vacation. We ain't got nothing to do. I was probably around 15 or so because none of us had cars. So we were just bored out of our mind. And one day we're like, hey, let's follow the river that way. Why? Why not? Never been there. Let's just see what's there. So we started doing it. We just started walking along the river. And we'd cross over the river every so often, like because of trees being down, we'd use them as little bridges. This one spot had these rocks in the river, so we used that. And we were just having a good old time going through the woods. Then, and this is after a while of walking, we saw something in the distance, some things that weren't trees. Well, huh, what's that? Let's go take a look. So we walked towards it. And this is what we found. A stack of Playboys. No. Although we did find that in the woods before. <laughs> Every boy did. It was mostly stone pillars. Now, I'm not talking like ancient Roman pillars or anything carved or anything. They were just concrete. And there was two different sizes. There was one that was about six, seven feet tall, and there was a bunch of those. And then there was others that were really damn tall. They were like 20, no, about 30 feet. What? Yeah. There was five of those, and I can't tell you how many of the smaller ones. Was this like Stonehenge? Well, I started getting that vibe from it. It wasn't carved stone there's no ruins written on it or anything any cheesy thing like that but it was just stone pillars and I couldn't wrap my mind around what they were there for there was a staircase off to one side stone staircase again about 20 feet or so they just went nowhere just went up and stopped last thing there was a stone longish box about in the middle yeah that's like right like a sarcophagus no more like an altar oh you see where i'm going here with this 
Now, again, there was no skulls. There was nothing spooky or anything like that. But there was also, there was no graffiti. You figure if this place had been here for a while, other people would have found it. They would have marked it all up. And like, they'd... you see any beer cans or anything? No. Like teenagers it was just... would hang out there? No. And there's more. This was in the middle of the woods. Some decent, thick woods. In other words, there was no road heading to this place. There was no driveway. There was no trail. So how did all these pillars get here? It wasn't next to the river either. It was kind of, you know, close-ish, but it was about uh, 50 yards away from the river or so. So it's not like... And also, the Clinton River, it ain't, it's not a deep river, so it's not like they transported these things down river or anything. Also, when we were searching around this place, I was thinking, maybe this was a house or something. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, maybe the ruins of a house that had been there for, like, a couple of hundred years or something, and yeah, everything's but overgrown. There was no trace of any other materials. Oh, no wood. No, no wood, no glass, no steel, no nothing. Just these concrete pillars and the earth floor. And leaves and trees. And there's big trees in the middle of this place. Well, you know, that's actually a thing. Like, stair staircases in the middle of the woods, that's a thing. Like how? <clears throat> well, like, a lot of people have, like, you can go online and see where people have reported finding staircases that lead to nowhere, just out in the middle of nowhere. Well, here's the final kicker. And this is the part that really scared the hell out of us and had us running. We're in the middle of the woods. There's no roads, there's no houses, there's no nothing. And we saw somebody coming towards us. What? Yeah. I still can see him. He was wearing blue jeans. He was wearing a blue flannel shirt. He had black hair and a black beard. And... He didn't say anything to us. He wasn't like, hey, what are you kids doing? He wasn't waving or anything, but he was just walking towards us. And we saw him, and we're like, let's get the hell out of here! And we just ran. Well, that's creepy. More creepy? We never found a place again. We had tried to go back looking for it three different times. You know, we'd bring clubs and you know stuff like that just to defend ourselves. But we wanted to, you know, we wanted to see it again. We we told other kids and they're like, "Oh, where is it?" And we couldn't find it. Now maybe just because we had wandered so damn far and crossed rivers so many times, I don't know. But we had never found a place again. So that is my big mystery. I swear on a stack of Bibles, and that happened. We and should I, go out there and try to find it. <laughs> I'm too old and fat to try to hunk around in those woods anymore. Yeah, that was that's probably the coolest real world mystery thing that ever happened to me. And again, there could be some mundane explanation. It could be, yeah, a house or, you know, a building used to be there. But well, I you just... know, like, have you ever seen houses where, like, the only thing left is the fireplace? You yeah. Know? But that's, you know, that's actually one unusual thing is typically houses that old would have fireplaces it wasn't that i didn't get the sense of age from it i mean the pillars i'm not gonna swear that they are brand new or anything but they didn't strike me as ancient or old and like i say they weren't carved as demons or ghosts or you know anything silly like that they just were 
Were there blood stains on the altar? Yeah. I no. I went looking, but no. There was a the altar was fine. There was no candles, no skulls, no pentagrams, no none of that. Was the box was it like neat, you know, like with sharp edges and, you know, straight sides, or was yeah. it Huh. It was obviously constructed for something. It wasn't hinged or it, there wasn't a lid. It wasn't like a sarcophagus. As far as we could tell, there's one big stone. Okay, so when you say box, you just mean, like, shaped. Like well, no, it, it was constructed. It wasn't natural. Or no, maybe, I know, but I mean, it doesn't have a lid, you know, no, like yeah, that. No, it, yeah. It's box-shaped, but it wasn't a box that you could put stuff into. And that's why I thought, you know, of course, my mind, I went to it has to be a sacrificial altar or something. But there was no blood, there was no nothing. It just, it's weird, but it ain't too weird. It ain't beyond the pale. This guy that was coming towards you, was he coming fast? No, he was just walking. And again, he wasn't, he didn't say anything to us. He wasn't like, kids, get away from there, or hey, can you come here, or anything. He wasn't threatening us. He, you know, he didn't have any knives or machetes or anything like that. But just to be out in the middle of nowhere, just walking towards us, and yeah, we're already, no, that's creepy. I would have peed my pants. We're already freaked out <laughs> at this place. I almost peed my pants just now. So, <laughs> and the fact again, I just we never found it again. We went looking, we couldn't find it. Weird. You know what? You should look it up. Like, just I don't know, just search around on the internet and see if anybody else. I always talked about it. Yeah, I guess. I always thought maybe, and I, I just I don't know how easy it would be. But I was thinking maybe you could use Google Maps or something. But if it's in the forest and Google Maps, if the satellite or whatever passed over while it was summer and all the trees are fully you know, got all their leaves, you're not going to see anything. Yeah, even it, if something's like 30 feet tall? Eh, maybe. It was about the size of the trees there. Well, we should definitely try. Yeah. I'd be down for it. I just, I've always... I love that place in a creepy, weird, what the hell was that kind of way. Well, yeah. No, that's a, that I would love it too. Like, I totally get that. We used to do a lot of urban exploring when I was a kid mm -hmm. because I lived in Atlanta. Like, and my friend and I would just take off and we would follow the creek down to wherever it led us. Like, under overpasses and all kinds of things. And we used to get in trouble a lot. My parents didn't always know how far we went because I would have gotten mass beat. But, <laughs> but I mean, they didn't like us you know, straying that far from the house in the city anyway. But, yeah, I always loved that kind of thing. One of my favorite things to do as a teenager was we would drive out to the woods and find abandoned houses. Oh, and, yeah. like, really old abandoned houses. And just... You know, walk kind of like the house and like Texas Chainsaw or like the latest Blair Witch, you know, where you go in and someone used to live there, but it's been a very long time and there's just random stuff there like baby doll or pieces of clothes or some weird mattress or something. And just 
We always yeah, used to love probably, to do stuff like that. Probably means nothing, but in your mind, you're like, ooh, why is this here? Well, honestly, I, I think that what would have had the biggest impact on me would be just running into another person, some random person out well, there in yeah, the middle of that. That's, that's what would have freaked me out the most that's on why, top I mean, of everything else. We literally just screamed, run, and we <laughs> took off. That's and he never said anything after us. He never, hey, come back. Or maybe he did. We didn't hear it. But we just booked it out of there. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, speaking of booking it out of there, that kind of that'll bring me to my last story. And uh, at least for this episode, I'm, I have a lot of things that have happened to me. <laughs> so we might explore some more in the future. But the one last one I can talk about it now is my friend and I. Uh, not Jen this time. This was Samantha, the the friend that I grew up with. And we were taking the dogs for a walk around the neighborhood. And we had this big old house in our neighborhood. Like most people have that one house that is the haunted house. You know, it's creepy. No one lives there. It's been empty for a long time. It's a big house. You know, it's just, you know, it's the one that all the kids talk about. So we were walking and we... Was it owned by this spooky German guy? No. <laughs> no, no one lived there. We were walking, not even the Clopex. <laughs> we were walking the dogs and we decided, well, let's go see. Let's just go see. You know, and it had this hill of a driveway. Like you had to walk uphill to get to the house. So we started walking up the driveway. And my dog was kind of pulling, and I knew nobody lived there, so I just let her off the leash, and she went running up the driveway. And she went behind the house. Well, we never made it that far. Like, we only got about halfway up the driveway, and I heard my dog yelp. You know, like a bark! You know, like like something freaked her out. And all of a sudden, she comes tearing ass down the driveway. I mean, she is just <laughs> running away from this house. And I was, and Samantha and I kind of looked at each other, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And she's, and she's like, "Run!" You know. So we didn't know what happened, but we just knew we had to get out of there. So we start running down the driveway, and we're running down the street, and we're going back to my house. And I'm running so fast that my dog is too slow. So I'm, <laughs> and I catch up to the dog, and I'm like, "You gotta hurry up!" I scoop up my dog, who was about a 50 pound dog, and I just haul ass back to the house carrying my dog. I would love to have seen that. <laughs> and I get in the house and my dad was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just like, nothing. You know? <laughs> I have no idea what she saw or what happened back there. I don't, I never did see what the back of that house looks like. Mm. I have no idea. I don't know what's going on around there, but all I know is that whatever was back there, she didn't like it, and she wanted to go the fuck home. <laughs> and she wasn't running fast enough for me, so I scooped her up and ran. <laughs> so, that's it. And I was probably like 10 or 11 okay. when I did that. Yeah, just one of those little adventures when you're a kid. Yeah, and I love that. I do, too. Actually, I miss it. Yeah. You know, because we were kind of too stupid to realize that we might be putting yeah. ourselves in real danger. <laughs> but that's what makes it fun. All right. Well, do you, do you have anything more you wanted to talk about? No, that's about it. I mean, I've had other things. I've done some cool stuff. I We once visited an abandoned asylum. That was pretty neat. But it wasn't really spooky. I mean, it was spooky while you were there, but nothing happened. We didn't see anything, anyone nothing there's actually one around here that i heard about 
Well, it's not around here as in, like, in our town, but I want to say it's about half an hour away. I know the name Westland. That might be it. Is that is that a name of a, a, an asylum? It was something like that. It was, that sounds very familiar. I mean, we were all drunk off our ass when we did. I know that there was a Westland, Michigan, but I want to say that Westland was the name of the asylum. And I know we've got Michiganders out there listening. David, you're one of them. <laughs> Andrew Huff, if you're listening, you know a lot about uh, Michigan. Um, if you guys know what I'm talking about, uh, I'd like to remember what it is because, from what I understand, like well, so it's, would I, because I I was there. Maybe I was at one such place. Um, this place I know is patrolled. Yes, uh, was to keep week. kids out of there. But yeah. I, one of the guys I used to, or wait, one of the boyfriends of a girl I worked with at the old restaurant, um, wanted to take a group of us out there because he was actually friends with one of the security guards, so he could get us in to go sneaking around and um we snuck in we i wanted to but we never did and this was more of a typical because again everything was tagged there was graffiti everywhere and it, once again that was one of the things that weirded me out about that other place i figured something would have been there there would have been some sign of something but no and it was just cool was just a big old spooky building no lights walking around going Ooh, and that's about it all right. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to our spooky stories. And I don't know what we're going to be talking about next time, but we'll come up with something. And like I said, if you have any questions you want to ask or any suggestions for a conversation, hit us up and we'll see what we can do. Next comes this episode of Attack of the Colossal Collection. Dun, dun, dun. And it's going to be part two of the A's. Yep. And we'll be right back. Attack of the Colossal Collection. 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 And welcome back to episode 21 of Attack of the Colossal Collection. And for anyone who's new out there, if you're wondering why we started at 20, it's because the previous 19 episodes were in our network during the first run. And um, we're probably going to release those in the vault at some point. So for continuity purposes, I wanted to keep it going as it was because I'm anal that way. And we also did a bunch of them. We did, you know, 20 of them. So (laughs) also it just happened to turn out that where we ended it before we took our break was right at the beginning of the A's. So it actually worked out pretty well. It did. It, it makes it easy to start. On the last episode, we ended with the alien dead, I think. And the next film in our selection is Alligator from 1980. Okay, this is a creature feature. It's a take on the old urban legend of, you know, when you have a baby gator and somebody flushes it down the toilet because they just want to get rid of it. It goes into the sewers and there it lives. But this has a little twist on it where... The baby gator grew up eating steroid or growth hormone infused animals or something. Some some kind of modified animals that uh, a scientific lab was doing science on. And then when the animals died, they just chucked them in the sewers. The alligator ate the steroid animals. And that's why this alligator is huge. I and mean, was it 40 feet long or something uh, like that? It's a big boy. 
And we actually covered this one on the very first episode of the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the first season of that. And Which we hope to also have in the vault. In the vault, yes. So for anyone who hasn't heard that, um, you should be able to hear it sometime in the future, hopefully. But just know for now that I love Alligator. That was my movie that I brought to ABCs, and it is a favorite. It includes one of the scariest scenes that pretty much messed me up for life. To this day, if I'm in a pool... If I think about it, I'll get out of the pool. <laughs> so, yeah, this movie is a big deal for me. I love it. It's a lot of fun. They have a lot of fun with the idea of this alligator crawling around. Uh, there is a great pool scene. I love this scene. This alligator is so big and so strong and so just gnarly that he busts out of the sewer through the concrete sidewalk. Uh, he's chomping people. He's picking people up and banging their heads against limousines. It is just awesome. Yeah, it's very cool. I love the effects. I love the story. And I think it's pretty well known among Creature Feature fans. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. If, for whatever reason, you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. It's really good. It's so good, in fact, that uh, Jamie gave it a 5 out of 5. And I went with a 4. Because you don't like good things. No. Remind our listeners how our rating system works, just in case they're new. Okay, well, we use the old Netflix ratings, which is what I've pretty much always used on my shows because yes. I don't like any other rating system. This this makes sure that it is as subjective as ratings are. Also, you don't have to worry about inconsistencies down the line. Yes. Like, oh, no, I gave this movie a five, but but this movie's better. Like, no, that's... That's silly. So Yeah, I've uh, been doing reviews for over 25 years now because I'm old. And uh, I always hate it. Some places would make you yeah, do an arbitrary score. Yeah, I've worked for places score. that required you to do a star rating score. And I always hated it. Always. Uh, so we do that here just because a lot of people like it. So, But the way we do it is... One, well, it's also it's very simple. It gives you an idea of how we feel about it. Not necessarily, you know, this is an 8.75 or anything like that. Shout out to Jason Lloyd. Exactly. That would be like a 7.75. So the way we do it is very simple. One, we hated it. Two, we didn't like it. Three, we liked it. Four, we really liked it. Or five, we loved it. And that's how I am with this movie. I really liked it. I just, I don't love it. Well, I love it. Oh, good. All right, what's next? Next is Altered from 2006. Uh, This was made by... Eduardo Sanchez. Thank you. I always see it. Listeners, if you've listened for a while, you'll know I'm horrible at names. <laughs> I'm the name person. He's the movie plot person. Yes. Because all the, I'll be like, what, did, what was that about again? But uh, that he's really good for reminding me what we watched and telling me when I say I don't think I've ever seen it, he'll go, yes, you have. And so he'll remind me about that. But I'm the name person and the actor person and the director person typically. So anyway, yes, Edward, Eduardo Sanchez of... Blair Witch fame. Yeah, one half of the Blair Witch project. I guess they wrote it, they directed it, they thought the whole thing up. And he's actually made a few movies since then that I've kind of liked. And uh, this is one of them. Uh, Here, a group of guys went out when they were much younger, hunting, and they had some sort of encounter with aliens. They don't get into too much detail, but you realize that it wasn't pleasant. In fact, one of them died. 
here it is many years later, and they're still angry because nobody believes them. Everybody thinks... Yeah, there were like five of them, I guess. Well, the yeah. three friends, Wyatt, and then the Timmy, dead guy. Yeah. the dead guy. So yeah, there are five of them. They all got taken up. Yeah. They all got some form of experiment done on them. Three of them were released pretty much right away, and then Wyatt and Timmy were stuck behind. Yeah, Timmy died, Timmy Wyatt died. was released sometime later. And Wyatt, they tried all kinds of things on him, but nothing worked. No. So he kind of scares the aliens, but they put a tracking device in him and threw him outside. Uh, there was like a big deal where uh, Timmy's brother was accused of Murdering killing his, his son. Murdering his own brother. And... I mean his son. Killing his brother. And no one believed their alien story because if you've ever seen Fire in the Sky or anything like that, you know that no one believes alien stories. Or just, you know, if you've lived, you know that no one believes alien stories. But turns out, they're not lying. And also, they were looking for payback for years, trying to... They assumed the aliens would return one day, and lo and behold, they did, and they captured one. And so this is the movie. They've got an alien under wraps, kind of. They bring it to one person's house, or garage more specifically, and about 80 to 85% of the movie is set there. So it's a very low-budget film. You have a limited cast and limited locations, but it works. It works really good. I think there's one particular scene in here that I, seriously, it you can, <laughs> Brian will tell you, when yeah. we're watching it, I'm all tied up in knots. It it's is funny. <laughs> really disturbing. And really just horrifying. Uh, very effective. I'm not a big fan of alien abduction films. No, me they don't, neither. They don't typically affect me. And a lot of times I just don't think they're all that good. But this one is really good and completely worth your time. As a matter of fact, it was going to be my A pick for this season of ABC's but at the last minute, I decided to go with Audrey Rose instead because uh, no one ever talks about that, and I had been wanting to see it again. But this would have been my choice if I had not gone with that one. Well, it's a good one, and it's definitely worth highlighting, so I'm glad we get to talk about it here. In fact, we liked it so much that we both gave it a 4 out of 5. The next movie is AM1200. And hopefully that sounds familiar to you because we literally just talked about it last episode. So because we talked about it at length, we're just going to skip it here other than say we both gave it a 5 out of 5. It's an excellent movie and once again I think you need to find it and give it a watch. Next is a comedy movie. Uh, yeah, we do have some. And this one is Amazon Women on the Moon from 1987. This is a... Sort of like an anthology comedy film, or more like, I guess, a skit show. It has various small little comedy skits all collected. They're not really connected per se, so you get a bunch of stuff here on a whole variety of things. Kind of like Kentucky Fried Movie. Exactly. It's exactly like that. And that's one of my favorite all-time movies, but specifically all-time comedies. So this one really speaks to me. It has a whole bunch of actors. It has a bunch of different directors. I mean, the cast list on this thing, and crew list, I guess, is pretty insane. It has uh, one of my favorite bits about the Loch Ness Monster. It's a take on the whole in search of thing. Mm -hmm. Except here they call it bullshit or not. <laughs> 
Uh, it has a beginning opening bit with Arsenio Hall trying to play a videotape that he runs <laughs> at a store. It's just, it's it's funny. If you like weird skits, I mean, again, they're short and they're not connected. They're just funny little bits. If that kind of thing appeals to you, then this is a good one. Uh, I would say if you're a fan of Kentucky Fried Movie, which yes. you should be, then you will probably like this one. I don't like it as much. No. But... I do still like it. Yeah, it's not as good, but it's still very good. In fact, it's so good that we both gave it a four out of five. That seems to be a common thing right now. Well, what they're going to find is that in the majority of the films that we own, they're going to have high scores. Otherwise, we wouldn't own them. We don't don't typically keep movies that we don't like. Unless they're your movies. Or your movies. No, my movies are awesome. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know about my movies because you conveniently skip over them. That happened once. Won't you get over it? <laughs> no, I won't. And next up, we have what might be considered, honestly, controversial to some people. Why is it? Oh, because... Because of a particular actor that is the star of this oh, film. Oh, yeah. And that is... Ameri- I was thinking of the creepy pedo vibe, which could also be... Uh, that is exactly <laughs> why... It, Related to him. <laughs> but uh, this is American Beauty from 1999, uh, starring... Kevin Spacey, Ooh, uh, yes. Mina Suvari, and uh, Annette Bening, and Wes Bentley, and, oh, who's that girl I don't like? Thora Birch. I think she's okay here. I don't think she's great, but I don't have she anything just doesn't, against her. She just, she's kind of like Rooney Mara to me. And like, she just doesn't have any personality. Yeah. You know, it just seems like a blank slip. Yeah, she doesn't emote well. No. But. She got some big old titties. Uh, this film. <laughs> this film, honestly, is, to me, I think it's an excellent film. I, I think it's a beautiful film. It is tragic. For those who don't know, this is pretty much just a drama, or I guess a drama with some comedy elements. I mean, it's just it's a drama. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kevin Spacey is the, the main character, and he has reached middle age, and uh, his... Wife is cheating on him. They have an unhappy marriage. He doesn't have a good relationship with his daughter. He hates his job. And, you know, things are just going to hell. So he just makes some abrupt life changes. Like he quits his job and gets a job at a fast food place because he wants absolutely no responsibility. And honestly, I feel that. I've been there. Uh, He buys a sports car. And he tries to... Start smoking dope again. Yeah, oh, yeah, he starts smoking pot because the next-door neighbor, the son, is a pot dealer, and it's also his daughter's boyfriend. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. But, oh, well, and then there's the whole fantasy about the teenager yeah. friend of his daughter, Mina Which Safari. Which is, you know, back then we didn't know Kevin Spacey was a piece of shit, I guess. But even back then, when everybody loved everybody in this movie and all that, that was controversial. That, that had a lot of people up in arms. It did, and... But honestly, My mom still calls this a dirty movie. Oh. <laughs> it's just a dirty movie about <laughs> some old man <laughs> trying to have sex with a kid. You know... You She's can, old. She can't help it. You can say whatever you like about this. And you can feel however you like about it. I'm, you know, I don't care. But to me, it's an honest film. Yeah. I'm not saying that... You should going try after, to have sex with high school students. No, absolutely not. But... Human is what we are. We're These fucking thoughts human. are not representative of both of us. <laughs> no, I mean, come on. 
acting on things and or like actively pursuing something is a totally different thing. You can't have thought crimes, at least not yet. You know, your your mind is your own. You can fantasize or think whatever you want to. Well, and you just can't act. But like it. I'm saying, is like you don't, you can't always help what you like. No. Things pop into your head. That doesn't mean that you think it's a good idea. It just means that. Things pop into your head because you're fucking human. Baby, is you there know? anything you want to tell me? And it, No, shut up. No, I'm just saying I appreciate the honesty of this film because it's not afraid to go not only into that territory, but it dips into the relationships that he has with his whole family and also into homosexuality. I don't know. I and Nazi plate collecting. And it's, uh, yeah. It can be a very uncomfortable film, but sometimes that's what we need. Because we need to face the fact that we're human and yeah. everything we think isn't always the right thing. Oh, I agree. And in the end, he does the right thing. Yeah. Like, that's the thing about this film is that he's not hes not a bad guy. He does the right thing when an uncomfortable situation presents itself. And to me, that is what defines your character. Not the fact that you were placed in an uncomfortable situation, but how you deal with that situation. And I think that's what's important. But, that's me. I love this film. I give it a five. Uh, I think Brian gives it a four. Yeah, I, again, really like it. Don't love it, but it's a really good film. Yeah, if you can, if you haven't seen it, if you can get past the Kevin Spacey thing, uh, which I think it's worth... Yeah, I'm not going to hang out with the guy. I don't necessarily like the guy, but he is a damn good actor. Woo, talk about uncomfortable situations and dramas the this next film uh yeah it's pretty powerful yeah it still holds up now and uh it is really good it's american history x from 1998 another drama so you know we don't have just all horror films no and shout out to the cinema rules guys they just released a reaction video to this film we watched it yesterday Mm -hmm. and uh, that was that was honestly, I think, one of their best ones because they had a really good conversation mm-hmm. while watching this film. They picked out some really good stuff, and I, I really enjoyed watching that. And how sad that, you know, this movie 20 years later is still re- relevant, still as relevant, if not more. Yeah. I mean, it is... Whew, this is this is, uh, this is a hard-hitting movie, and it's tragic. But honestly, it's a film that I think everyone needs to see. Yeah. I feel like this should be required viewing, for adults at least. <laughs> for those who don't know, Edward Norton plays a good kid, good high school kid, good grades, the whole nine yards. And then his dad, a firefighter, is killed. And he blames basically black people for it. So suddenly he turns all that grief into hatred. It's fed by another parasite piece of shit, neo-Nazi. And it just messes with his mind so much that he becomes a true believer. He shaves his head. He gets jacked as hell. I've never seen Edward Norton get. I know it's crazy. It's almost like he has a body double. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you've seen Edward Norton in other films, you're like, what? And he looks really good in this. Uh, well, except, except for, for the big swastika tattoo. Yeah, that I could do without. But, <laughs> but yeah, he goes deep. It, it's his. He actually becomes like a high up. Yeah. He's, he's pretty high up in their... Because he, uh, he's charismatic. Their... He he can keep recruiting other angry, scared white kids into this neo-Nazi bullshit. 
And, you know, are you tired of black kids picking on you? Are you tired of Mexicans and girl take back our country bullshit? Yeah, his uh, girlfriend is Feruza Balk. She's all twisted. Yes, she's messed up. His little brother is played by Edward Furlong in one of the best roles I have ever seen Edward Furlong in. I agree. And, um, you know, he's had some issues. (laughs) And... He's done some not-so-good acting turns, but this, I really think he's excellent. Yeah. Uh, Beverly D'Angelo plays their mom. She's not really in it that that much. much, You know, she's there. But, so basically something really horrible happens. Uh, He commits a, a, a really horrible crime, the Edward Norton character, and ends up going to prison. If you know anything about this movie, you know that it basically introduced a whole bunch of people to the idea and the the term curb stomp. Right. Yeah. And for that, he goes to jail. And while in jail, he, of course, hooks up with the Nazis in jail to protect him. But he's also forced to work with a black guy in a laundry. And then he finally, that's like his first chance to really talk to a black person. To Yeah. To know. realize that people are people. And yes. this guy in the laundry, I'm afraid I don't know his name, but I love him. He's yeah. so... He's so charming and so funny, and he knows that he's talking to a straight-up Nazi, but... Well, yeah, it's kind of obvious. He doesn't... He just... He just keeps, like, burrowing at it and just keeps knocking... Like, trying to knock down that wall, because in the beginning, Edward Norton won't talk to him at all. He won't even acknowledge him. He won't... This guy's over here talking to him, and he's just ignoring him. But then, by the end of it, they're really good friends. So... His yeah, time in prison basically re-educated him. There's a good character arc. There's, there's a good redemption excellent, story. Excellent redemption story. Holy crap. And also there is a teacher at the high school that played by Avery Brooks, who's awesome here. He's amazing. There um he was the uh he was Edward Norton's teacher when he was in high school, and now he is Furlong's. Uh, Edward Furlong's teacher. Now that he's in high school, and Norton keeps telling him, he's like, "Look, uh, it's Sweeney. You get, you have to listen to him. He's one of the best teachers you'll ever have." Oh my God, it tears me up inside because he goes through all of this shit in prison, and comes out a completely different person. And there's going to be ramifications for that because his whole life was before that. Not his whole life, but the last part of his life before he went to jail was all about hate. Yeah. And all his friends were all about hate, and the girl he loved was all about hate. So now he comes out, he's a different person, and, well, he's got to get back to... He's trying to avoid that world, but that world wants him back. They worshipped him. They idolized him as a Nazi. And his brother is so confused because while he was in prison, his brother was taken in yeah, by of these course. people. Um, it's Stacy Keach, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And, oh, man. I mean, his brother is just down to believing the same stuff now, and he's trying to pull his brother out of this, and he's trying to stay away from it. He even approaches his girlfriend. He wants to bring her out of it. Of course, she... she turns on him like a son of a bitch. And his friends are pointing guns at him and just... It has a hell of a powerful ending and a really strong and good message. This is one of my favorite films by Norton, and that's saying something, because he's a really good actor. I always heard he has a bit of an ego, but... He's a great actor. He's damn good. And this is incredible. And the reason I think that this film should be a required viewing is because I think it illustrates how easy it is for a good person, a person who is a nice person with good values, 
to be pulled into something so powerful as a hate group like this. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I've always an advocate for trying to talk to people and understand why the way, why they feel the way they feel rather than demonizing them without knowing anything about them. And I feel like you can't help anyone by punching them in the head or, you know, turning your back on them. That's not going to do any good. All that's going to do is reinforce the hate that's already there. All you're going to do is, you see, that's why I am the way I am. That's why I think the way... Look at that, you see? You basically just, in their mind, you have proved their point. Yeah. So I'm always, always, always an advocate of trying to understand why people have gotten to the point that they've gotten to and maybe just getting to know them and show people that hate is not the way. It's not the way to do things. And it's not good for anyone on any side. It only makes things worse. And I'm going to cry, so we should probably move <laughs> on. Um, this is this is a pure drama, but it's an excellent story. It's acted amazing and has great direction. I love this movie a lot. In fact, so much that Jamie and I both give it a 5 out of 5. An incredibly high 5 out of 5. It, it affects me on every level. Uh, so much so that when we were watching the uh, reaction video from Cinema Rules yesterday, I started crying at the end of that. And they don't even show the whole movie. They're just showing clips. And it just made me think of the movie. And I was crying. So, huh, it's a hard one. But I think it's a necessary one. Alright, well, dipping away from the serious tone uh, doing a complete 180 here and I apologize for getting so <laughs> so serious on that that's not typically how we roll but sometimes things just affect me but uh, anyway going away from that in the complete opposite direction is one of Brian's movies so you know it's going to be good uh-huh. actually I don't I like this movie this is American Ninja from 1985 and you can tell it just by that title. I'm going to love it. Uh, this is a canon film, so right there, that's another indicator that I'm going to dig it. Michael Dudikoff. Yeah, this is one of the movies that brought him, for the most part, into the mainstream. Well, he never really had that much crossover appeal, but at least in the action world, this is the movie that made him a star. Uh, here, he's a average white guy soldier and he's stationed in the Philippines. And while he's there, there's a group of, I guess, the mafia or the Philippine mafia or just organized crime. They're ripping off the army and there's some inside, you know, element there tipping them off on when they're shipping out guns and they come up and they take the guns and run away. And the bad guys are backed by ninjas. So if they really get in trouble, they can call out the ninja squad and they'll do whatever they do. But little do they know that this average-looking white dude is also a ninja. He was raised and grew up training, and so when he sees what's going on, he just starts kicking all forms of ass. I really like that. It's, you know, it's a typical ninja film. It's a typical canon ninja film. But I'm fine with that. It also has Steve James in it as his black buddy best friend. And he's not a ninja. He's just an ass kicker. And it has... Uh, I like him a lot. Yeah. And for horror fans, it also has... I, mean, I 
don't know the actress's name, but she was Samantha from Friday the 13th, the final chapter. She plays the love interest here. So, I mean, it's just, it's good all the way around. And Hell has a ninja with a laser beam. That's awesome. <laughs> Samantha, she's the... Uh, 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 yeah, she's the one who gets killed in a raft. <laughs> she's cute. Yeah. So, uh... So is Michael Dudikoff. I guess. So, yeah, I just, it's a... Straight-up action flick. It's canon. It's ninjas. I really like it. In fact, I give it a 4 out of 5. And Jamie gave it a 3.5 out of 5. That's not bad. No, for her, that's pretty good. <laughs> I know. I do like this one quite a bit. And I like him. Woo! Next up is another one of my favorites. And Mine too. yours too. As a matter of fact, I was a big supporter of this film. I believe I was the one that brought it forward for the summer series when we covered this year. And this is American Psycho from 2000, uh, directed by Mary Heron and starring Christian Bale as the titular American Psycho. Who is the American Psycho? The American Psycho is Patrick Bateman, and he is the son of the CEO of a big money-making company, so he's rich, and he is engaged to Reese Witherspoon, and this also has Jared Leto, and oh my god, there's a lot of people in this movie. I can't even remember everybody, but you probably all, if you're listening to this, chances are, you know what this is about. He is a... A yuppie. Yeah. Oh yeah, because it takes place in the 80s, yep. uh, and he is... A rich yuppie who basically starts murdering people. Yeah. Now, we don't know, you know, is it in his mind? Is he actually doing it? Well, he's totally obsessed with fashion, with style, with music, and murder. In fact, he's really messed up about it. Fantasizes about seeing women's heads on sticks, and he does naughty things to them. He's in murders and executions. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, he's very much into the whole 80s mindset of me, 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 mine, mine, mine. Well, yeah. I mean, they do an excellent job of, of painting the the whole idea of the 80s yuppie, which is my haircut is better than yours. My suit is better than yours. My eyeglasses are better than yours. My, my business card is even better than yours. I can get into better restaurants. And uh, basically, I have more power. I have more money. I have more pull. I have more influence. And that's the circle of people that he runs in. And they're so caught up in this that they can't even tell each other apart. Yeah. And that's what I love about it is they constantly, and this happens to every one of them, they constantly think that they're talking to someone else. Well, that's because identity plays a big part in this film. Uh, he starts it off narrating to himself uh, that he he's not a real person. There's an idea of Patrick Bateman, but he doesn't know what that is. In other words, he's an empty shell. He's a total psychopath. He does... Well, I guess more specifically a sociopath. A sociopath. Yeah. He, he does has no connection to anyone. He to do in order to be normal. Yeah. You know, he doesn't give a shit about Reese Witherspoon. No. But she's rich. I don't think he gives a shit about the music or the fashion either, but he assumes that's how you're supposed to be. He thinks everyone else will. So, which is interesting. And what, one of the more interesting things, I think, is when... Willem Dafoe, who plays the, or he's a private in, private investigator, yes. or just play, okay, uh, who plays the police officer in the film, he is investigating a missing person, and he comes to talk to him, and he's like, oh, I've got this new tape by 
it was Huey Lewis in the news, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and then he's like, you know, do you like them? And and he Patrick Bateman's like, no, no, no. It kind of depends on what situation he's in as to what he likes. But what I like about that is that it kind of illustrates that he doesn't have an opinion of his own. No. He morphs his opinion to fit whatever situation he's in. And he's a total Fruit Loop psycho monster. I mean, he is crazy. This movie has some notoriety for being excessively violent, and it is. But I still, well, that's not going to phase me. The story is it's great. It's violent. I don't think it's excessively violent. Well, yeah, to normies it would be. To, like, you know, Roger Ebert and his oh, crowd. Roger Ebert can suck a dick. Oh, no, he can't. I think this is one of Christian Bale's best performances. Yeah, I mean, and one of his earlier ones. Well, yeah, that's it made him a superstar. I love the direction. Who directed this? Mary movie? Heron. Thank you. It is just great. It's horrific, it's dramatic, and it's also funny as hell at times, but it's like a very, very dry, dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Except for at the end when he's totally nuts and he thinks the ATM is telling him to feed him a cat. Oh, <laughs> that makes me sad. But he, he doesn't. doesn't. He doesn't. But he was going to. If you've never seen American Psycho, you really need to change that. We both love it so much so that we gave it a 5 out of 5. No question. We have a lot of movies with American in the title. Next, unfortunately, we go to a Jamie addition to the collection. She has some questionable tastes and some questionable movies. And this is one of them. Uh Uh-huh. Try to defend this one, I dare you. This is American Vampire from 1997. I'm not. And it was a first-time watch for me. And guess what? It's going to be a last-time watch for me as well. Come on, it's Carmen Electra. Yeah, she's great, but this movie... Wait for it. Sucks! Get it? Because it's about vampires? Uh, yeah. Now, it's kind of neat because it's 90s as hell, so it was neat for the nostalgia alone. But everything else... I mean, it's just... It is a beach-themed vampire flick and not even the overcooked ham of Adam West as the Big Kahuna. Yeah, that's who he plays, a vampire named the Big Kahuna. In this movie could do much for it. I actually don't even think Carmen Electra is in it all that much. No, she's not. She's on the cover because she who she is, but this is bottom-of-the-barrel, low-budget trash. It's not good as a horror film. It's not good as a comedy. It's just not good. I can't disagree. No. I don't know why you have this in the collection. Did you get it for free or something? No, I think I picked it up. Well, see, look at the tags. I think I picked it up at a video store sale. Oh, yeah, it was Hollywood Video. So Hollywood Video was going out of business, and I just went and bought a bunch of stuff, and I hadn't seen it at the time. (laughs) So I just, they were cheap. (laughs) Well, if you paid more than 50 cents for it, you got robbed. Jamie likes this one more than I do, and she only gave it a two. <laughs> Me, I can only give this a one out of five. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that one day will make it into a prize pack. I love how we're like, here's a shitty movie, you want it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just taking up space in our collection. We need the room. Okay. Oh, here comes one of my favorites. And oh my god, this is a beautiful release. Holy crap. Yeah, Arrow did an awesome job. And we go from one American movie that sucked to an American movie that's awesome. Yeah, we are on to 
one that I'm really liking. Uh-huh. And that is An American Werewolf in London from 1981. My favorite werewolf movie of all time. Boy, that's a hot take, baby. Damn straight. <laughs> it's most people's favorite. Honestly, the only reason The Howling tops it out for me, and everyone knows this, is because... It's got walking werewolves. I love werewolves on two legs. This one, though... So do I. I prefer them, too, but just this movie is so damn good. You honestly, it's perfect. Yeah. You can't get any better than this. The effects, well, duh. I mean, they created an Oscar award <laughs> just for this just movie. because of this movie. So that's something. Uh, then you have uh, the two leads that are brilliant together. Well, actually three, I guess, because uh, I would include Jenny Agutter in that. Oh, yeah. It's horrifying. It's gross. It's funny when it needs to be. And it's just fucking brilliant. I, it, there's not... You cannot say anything bad about this movie. I hope we don't have to sell the listeners on this one. <laughs> uh, well, that's true. I forget. Sometimes I forget who I'm talking to. Okay, yeah, we shouldn't. But, yeah, there's nothing bad that you can say about this film. No. And I, I just don't buy it. And I've seen it so many times that if you try to tell me that, then I'll just say you're wrong. But one thing I do want to say, and you know what that is? Uh, surprise me. You know. Okay, well, remind me. This is not a comedy. No, yeah, that's right. That's a It is not a comedy. It drives me nuts just yeah. because a film has some humorous moments does not make it a comedy. That makes it a well-written film yes. is what that does because the comedy is in there to offset the horror and the horror is wow and it was never intended to be a comedy not by john landis he was making a monster movie and he has said that numerous times so you might think it's funny but please stop calling it a comedy because fucking a it's not this is a scary movie yes a genuinely scary movie and you're allowed to have some humor in a scary movie it's okay it really is okay. Okay. Stop beating them up now. Uh, well, uh, you know how I am when I get passionate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what do you give American Werewolf in London? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we both give it a five. Out Did of you five. have anything you wanted to say? Because I kind of took that one over. Well, no, I mean, it's American Werewolf in London. Everybody knows it. Everybody's seen it. If for some crazy, insane reason you never have... Do that. Well, I actually... and Okay, I'm going to explain why it bothers me so much that people refer to it as a comedy. Oh, good. I know... Shut up. I know people, I've talked to people, who refuse to watch it because they don't like horror comedies. Oh. And that, first of all, what? Like, I, yeah. I will decide whether or not I like a film after I watch it, but... I guess that there are things that I would just go, you know what, I'm not going to watch that because I understand that. I'm not a big fan but, of musicals 90% of the time. Yeah, I mean, so there's... There a, are some I really like, but most of them I don't. So it's a thing, you yeah. know, it, it's a thing that you can do. But I feel like because this person is under the impression that it is a straight-up comedy, they're missing out because it's not. That's why I get all angry about it. Speaking of angry, here's a movie I'm angry at. It's American Werewolf in Paris. You are not angry. From that, oh yes, I am. From 1997. Now I don't hate this movie or anything. I just hate, hate, hate 
one specific aspect of it. The CGI. Yes, it is horrible. It is. Especially as the first sequel. Now, first off, it took 17 years to come out from the last movie. Here, a group of American kids are going around Europe doing a daredevil challenge thing, jumping off stuff with bungee cords, and also trying to lay as many women as they can. They go to Paris. This one guy meets a girl. She is lovely, and he's instantly struck in love. But oops, she is the daughter of uh, the last American werewolf in London guy and his nurse friend that they only, you know, knew for a couple days. And so it is a direct sequel, and I like that. And it continues the story, and I like that. And I actually don't even mind these characters. They're a bit goofy and stupid, but I like them. They're good guys. I mean, they're, you know... Yeah, decent dudes. decent guys. My biggest problem is the CGI is atrocious, and that is made doubly offensive when you consider it's a sequel to the movie they made the Academy Award for makeup effects for. I mean, how do you do that? That is a giant misstep. A, I, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know how they thought they'd get away with it. And I, I, I just, it makes no sense. However, to me, the characters save it. It's 90s as hell. Yeah, it is. In a lot of fun ways. You know, I, I don't know. I love these guys. I love Julie Delpy. I love the, the 90s of it. It has some really fun comedic moments. And, yeah, the werewolves are crap. I do, however, like the story. Though yeah. I like the idea. It's an okay story. It's I don't think it's anything all that great. Well, no, but yeah, I really feel like if they had not phoned in the effects, then it would be a lot more respected. And again, it's just it's so offensively bad to me. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't really find it offensive. Uh, there's enough in it for me to be okay with it. Well, there is enough in it where I gave it a three out of five, which means I think it's good, but it just it should have been so much better. You like it more than me, of course. Uh, you gave it a four out of five. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Whoop, box set time. Yeah, this is a box set from Scream Factory. It's the Amityville Horror Trilogy. All on Blu-ray, uh, lots of special features, it looks beautiful, I highly recommend it. And we're going to start off with the Amityville Horror from 1979. Well, this is one of my favorite cases in real life. It's one of my favorite haunted house books. Uh, the, the book by Jay Anson that this film is based on. I loved it as a kid. Uh, I haven't read it forever. That, so I... We have it. Yeah. It's an incredible book. I've read it several times. I enjoy the hell out of it. And whether or not you believe in the Warrens or anything that happened, whether you think that DeFeo was lying or... Lutz has made it up for money, which I do believe. Whatever side of the fence you fall on... It's still a good story. Whether you think it's fiction or nonfiction, it's a good story either way. Yeah. And it's a creepy story. Mm -hmm. And I think that this film did it justice. Yeah. A lot of people don't, but... I happen to love it. I think it has an incredible score. I think that the actors pull it off. The only thing I ever had issue with was that I always felt like James Brolin suffered a little bit from 
uh, the Jack Torrance syndrome in that he always seemed kind of scary to me as a kid. I so I couldn't really see the turn. As, I got, as I've gotten older and we've watched it more recently, I think that it's more Okay, because I was going to say, I didn't get that vibe from him. No, I like I, him in the beginning. No, I do now. But as a kid, I just always thought he was scary. And I saw this in the theater, and I just thought he was scary like, from the <laughs> get-go. But... As I've gotten older, then I realize, oh, you know, you can you can see the turn. I don't think it's as drastic a turn as Ryan Reynolds did with the character. No, his was a bit more, uh, I don't know, abrupt and unbelievable, I guess. But, you know, it's it's there. And uh, Margot Kidder, I think, is really good in this. I just, I love it. Well, I love the 70s. I love haunted houses. I love everything about it. Plus, it's iconic. You know, it, it really is. And it's gotten a lot of crap in the recent years and that makes me sad because yeah when it first came out it was a huge hit everybody loved it i think it has been uh, retroactively evaluated to be lesser than it definitely lesser than it, what how it first came out well there are a lot of people who prefer the remake yeah which, that's nuts spoiler alert we don't even own it actually that, spoiler alert we do what the fuck how did that happen you're the one who bought it when when we're at, uh... Second and Charles. Yeah. Then, oh, god damn it. <laughs> so we bought it used. That makes you feel any better. Mm. But uh, anyways... I betrayed myself. Jamie loves this movie so much, she gives it a five out of five. I mean, I don't, again, don't love it. I like it a lot. I gave it a four out of five. God, so I we... can't believe it. Didn't even remember that I bought that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to fill up like I think I was had to go for like ten movies or something. Yeah, I probably to fill in a gap. If that's what you got to tell yourself, baby. It's okay. <laughs> Shut up. We now go from Amityville Horror I'm to a Fraud <laughs> to Amityville Two: The Possession. It's the sequel. I guess I forgot the horror, and it's from 1982. And this is actually a prequel. And at the time of this coming out, 82. It was still kind of rare to have prequels. Nowadays, they're kind of common. Everybody does prequels. But back then, it was a bit strange. Also, it was really not that far removed from the actual DeFeo case. Yes. So that's kind of ballsy, I think. Yeah, this story is supposedly... Especially considering where they take it. Yeah. This one is supposedly the true story. Before the Amityville Horror and the movie and the book and all that, there is something that did really happen there. And a family was killed. You know, somebody went through the house and shot them all in the head while they were sleeping and stuff. And pretty much all fingers and all evidence and everything points to it being the oldest son, Ronnie. But he always claimed Who that... recently died in jail. Good. He always claimed he heard voices and then that was well, spun off. his story changed a lot. Yes. I, which backs up the idea that... He was just a drugged-out piece-of-shit loser who killed his family for God knows why. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy around it. You have a lot of people who say that he did it alone. You have a lot of people who say that he acted with his sister. Yeah. And then he ended up killing her. There's and then there's whole the mafia. Idea. Yeah, there's this whole idea that he actually... His sister's the one... Okay, the plan was for them to kill their parents. He killed the parents. She got overzealous and killed the younger siblings and then he got pissed off and killed her for killing the siblings and but, that's all very convoluted one but that is an actual theory but this is what he said again he also went with the whole i was hearing voices which was just their first attempt to have an insanity plea mm. 
that spun out to eventually know the voices were demonic and I was possessed and just... It just... Hence, the possession. Yes. Okay, back to the movie. It's this story where a different family, the first family, moves into the house and something starts getting to the oldest son, driving him crazy and... He does the unimaginable. He does kill everybody. After having a really bizarre, incestuous scene with his sister. Who was kind of not that all against it, which was kind well, of icky. I, yeah, well. And this honestly pulls some stuff straight from The Exorcist. I mean, down to the writing on the stomach. Yeah. Because, yeah, again, in the title, Possession. So not only do we have a haunted house story, but we also get a possession story, so we have to have an exorcism at the end. There's also a bit of courtroom drama in here. So this movie is all over the place, but I do like it a lot. I do too, and there are a lot of people who prefer this one over any of the others in the series. This is their favorite one. I think I might... I Spoiler, I guess... I do give this a four as well, which is the same thing I gave the last movie, but this is a good example of how scores are not totally concrete when it comes to how much you like a film. I like both movies a lot, that's it. But I do prefer this one over the original. I do not, but I do still like it. You gave it a four as well. And uh, it's just, it's a good, sometimes crazy, spooky movie. Haunted House, Possession, Court Drama. With incest. Mm. Next comes one of my favorites in the series, and that is Amityville 3D from 1983. And since 83 was a big year for 3D films, this was, depending on who you... Also, I, third films in the series. They yeah, loved doing that. Everybody loved that. Hey, it's the third three, film! Friday 3, Amityville 3. So, I mean, in IMDb, they officially call this movie Amityville 3D. I don't know. I mean, even on the Blu-ray. Yeah, that's it's what... It, that's what it's called. Huh? <laughs> okay. Uh, I really love this one. This is one that anytime it comes on TV, I'll stop and watch it. Uh, it has a very young Meg Ryan, a very young Lori Laughlin, before she got in all her legal troubles. And no, and they're both good for eye candy. This is just a very basic story of a guy who. Uh, he's a skeptic. He That's what he does, is he... It takes place after the Amityville. Yeah. So it's a known thing, and they're investigating it. He proves that, you know... The they post- have... It starts with a seance, and he proves that they're hucksters, and not the Warrens, but some other people. And then, uh, basically, that's what he does, is he blows the cover off of hoaxes. and So kind of like on a dare to prove a point... He buys the Amityville house. Yeah, he buys it. He's like, well, I'll buy it. I'll live here. And he moves in and then shortly starts to regret that decision as stuff starts happening. He is separated from his wife and they have a very strained relationship. Caught in the middle is his daughter. And one day she comes over to visit while he's not home. And then something horrible happens and everyone starts to get drawn in and then there's you know the gates of hell thing i mean it's it's, it's an silly. Amityville movie <laughs> but I, I love it i love it i love it i do not love it i do not even really like it but it's fun it is very silly it's my least favorite of the three movies from amityville that i actually like so that's something i do enjoy this movie but it's almost because it's so silly i mean they have 
the great 3D effects where everything keeps, you know, poking out at you through the camera. So it's always fun when you're watching this movie, not in 3D, to just notice that, make a drinking game out of it and drink yourself silly. But overall, I don't think it's a great movie. I don't even know if it's good, but I I find myself liking it. So I do give it a three out it of five. It has a microfiche scene. Oh, well, that, I should have elevated it for that. Yeah. Uh, Janie, on the other hand, maybe because of the microfiche, she gives it a five, five. out yep. of five. It's my second in it. And there's a reason that this box set is a trilogy and that these are the only ones we're talking about because as far as, like, you know, it's about time and the evil escapes and, yeah, fuck all all of, and the mirror movie. Like, there are a lot of people who like those movies and I'll watch them, there's but certain, I don't need to own them. There's a certain kind of enjoyment there. They're not good no. at all. But if I'm in the right frame of mind or something, if I'm feeling exceptionally silly, I could watch them, I guess. Yeah, I, I've gone through the entire series. Well, up to a point, well, whenever, wherever we were in the series at that time. And that's been a long time. They've added quite a few since then. Because there's like 26 or something Amityville movies. There's a oh, yeah. lot. Now, there is Amityville Awakening, which came out just a few years ago. We don't own that one, but I really liked it. I thought, if I remember correctly, I thought it was, eh, okay. All right, well, then I guess that brings us to the remake, which I swear to God, I forgot that we even owned. Because for years, I made a point not to own it. It's the Amityville Horror from 2005. Yeah, it's another remake from Platinum Dunes, because God knows they were remaking everything. I don't think it's god-awful like some of the remakes. I just don't think it's all that great. I just don't... Well, okay, it has some good things. I like Ryan Reynolds in this film. I think he does an excellent job. I really like Melissa George in it. No, she does a really good job. The Honestly, the acting is not what I have issues with. It has a very young Chloe Grace Moretz in it. Mm-hmm, a very young... This was, I believe, her first role. Nice. And... And she's okay she's for like a kid five, actor. You know, she's really cute. I like all the actors and the performances. That's not what I have an issue with. What I have an issue with here is they throw subtlety out the window. Yes. Everything is drenched in blood. You know, there's a scene with the whole, like, the finger in the head thing. Which like, is What is pointless. that about? Like, I just don't think that they properly captured an effective haunted house film. My biggest beef of it is twofold. First off, it's a jump scares. I don't think there's any, like you said, subtlety. But there's also no atmosphere, no mood, no nothing. It's just, it relies on, ah! The whole time. Just, ah! <laughs> and I just hate, ah! Did I get you? No. It's just, it's, it's, I hate that. And I have tried numerous times to like this movie. We actually, when we watched it, going through it this time... I actually remembered watching it recently. I just didn't think it was because we owned it. I thought maybe we had just decided to give it another shot. But no, we watched it because we owned it. I blame you for that. And and you should. But I was like, all right, I'm going to try it again. Okay, I've tried like four times. (laughs) I really have. I'm like, let's do it again. And I want to say that this time I didn't outright hate it like I did initially. So maybe it's starting to grow on me. Like a fungus. I also don't like that he killed Harry. That's not a thing that happened. Why yeah. you gotta kill Harry? What did Harry do? Nothing. Asshole. The other thing I hate about this movie, and it's something that was very common at this time, is the whole shaky head ghost stuff. Oh, God. Ever since Jacob's Ladder, where he had visions of people shaking their head real fast, back and forth. Everybody thought that was a cool effect, so everybody copied it, especially for ghosts. 
you know, if it was a spirit, it never just walked and floated or, you know, whatever. It was always spazzing out. <laughs> and I don't mind that in Jacob's Ladder. Then it was original and neat. And I wouldn't even mind it if it was done sparingly. But, of course, Hollywood can never do anything sparingly. Right. So, thankfully, that's a thing in the past now. I don't really see it happening all that much. But just here, they do it a lot combined with the, the crappy jump scares. The idea where the head make the story, you know, suddenly he has this whole big torture dungeon under the house where he... The original owner was torturing Native Americans because evil, and just, it, it's a big mess. So much of a mess that both you and I give it a 2.5 out of 5. So it doesn't even get a good. No. I guess I'll try it again a few years down the line and see if, see what happens that time. Hell, it's been, what, 15 years? When did that come out, 2005? Yep. Yeah, 16. Right. Whoop, 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 whoop. You know why I'm excited? Why are you excited? Because we're about to talk about one of my favorite directors. And who's that? That would be Dick Moss. He's a good one. And the film we're talking about is Amsterdammed, which I like to call a Dutch Jello. Oh yeah, I can see that. It's easily a Dutch Jello. Yeah, I mean, it takes place in Amsterdam, so hence the Dutch part. And uh, there is a dude in scuba gear going around killing people. Yeah, for those who don't know, Amsterdam has a whole bunch of canals. I know most people think Venice when they think that, but Amsterdam has a bunch too. And so this guy in scuba gear is using that to get away from the police and all that stuff. So he swims around until he finds somebody alone, jumps up, slashes them, and then swims away. Oh, and this movie was from 1988, in case we didn't say that. Oh, sorry. That's essentially the story. You got Hugh Stoppel. Who is a staple. Yes. Uh, Stoppel is a staple in uh, Dick Moss films. And he's really good. He's a detective here looking for this killer. You know, at first nobody believes him. And, and that's where the giallo part comes yes. in. Yes. Because otherwise you could say, well, that just sounds like a slasher. Well, except that this is like a giallo, very much a police procedural. Yeah, there's some gory in. scenes in here, but it's not really... Slashers are more about the kills... Jallos are more about the mystery. This one is definitely more about the mystery. Who's there doing that? There is an it? amazing scene that involved that boat, the, yeah. the tour boat. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, it's mostly about who is doing it, why are they doing it, and this cop's quest to bring them down. And it's really good. Really, really good. Yeah, if you like that sort of thing, if you haven't seen it, I would say check it out. If you're not familiar with Dick Moss, he did The Lift. He did Scent, the uh, scary Santa Claus movie. Yes. And most recently, he did Uncaged, Uncaged about the lion, lion loose in Amsterdam, in Amsterdam <laughs> which I fucking loved. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. So, uh, yeah, he is... I don't think I've seen everything he's done, but everything he's done that I have seen, I like a lot. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't get talked about enough, which I think is very sad because he he's not like like a carpenter or something like that. But his movies are all, I think, really competent. I think really fun and usually very original. Yeah. So I like hey, him. Hell, he has a movie about a killer elevator. Yeah. Then he, I think he's the one who remade it, too, for the uh, English-speaking audiences. So he did the original for uh, Dutch and then he did the remake in English. So that's pretty cool. Anyways, uh, great filmmaker, great film. So much so that both you and I gave it a four out of five. 
Oh, and back down we go. This is like, this episode is like being on fucking ecstasy. <laughs> I'm just up and I'm down, and I'm up and I'm down. But baby, my anaconda don't want none. Unless you got buns, hun. Yes, the next one is anaconda. And that was some awesome singing by me. You're welcome. <laughs> I thought I was in the room with Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> More like Sir Sucks-a-Lot. Hey. Uh, just and this is from 1997. This is your pretty standard animal attack movie. Jaws ripoff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here, a documentary film crew goes up the Amazon River, and they're looking for some tribes. They run into John Voigt. He is playing Paraguayan, I think? Yes, Lord, and I swear to God, and I've said this since the movie came out, throughout the entire film, I know that there's somebody off screen going... Look Paraguayan. <laughs> Look Paraguayan. Because his face. He, he makes these facial expressions. He that, is my favorite thing in this movie. Oh, he's so not, uh, well, He's so over the top. No, he is. He's, he's, a, he's a lot of fun. Uh, but his accent. He's just his crazy. facial expressions. <laughs> it's hilarious. Now, um, Anyways, my, he's an evil big game hunter specifically looking for the giant snakes known as Anaconda. He uh, tricks his way onto their boat because his boat is out of commission and then he kind of tricks them into going where he wants to go and then oops anaconda and it's a big huge cgi the cgi is horrible but unlike american werewolf in paris i kind of expected it to be horrible here so i kind of go with it i love it in fact because it looks so silly you got this ginormous snake it's like 60 feet long or something stupid it weighs like two tons and it's moving around lightning fast it's bonkers. It's hanging off trees and catching people as they fall. And just, it is so over the top because they're so desperate to make this thing badass. Because, you know, a normal, let's say, 20-foot anaconda isn't badass enough. No, you got to make super anaconda. You also get J-Lo in here as the... Not really ass. What's that? J-Lo's ass. Well, yeah. I mean, it's fighting her for screen time the whole time. <laughs> that's the best thing she brings Ice to any Cube, movie. Eric Stoltz. Yeah, there's um, quite a few people Owen in Owen Wilson mm-hmm. and, oh, who's that cutie pie? Um, I love her. And Kari, Kari Horror. <laughs> Anyways, it's just, it's a fun animal attack movie. Again, my favorite part is John Voight just chewing through scenery like a buzzsaw. He's just going to town. I can only assume he knew this movie was such a pile that he was just having fun with it. Yeah. Because he's been, I mean, he's a legit actor. He's oh, won Academy yeah. Awards and stuff. He's a good actor. But here, he's just so nuts. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as for the movie itself, I don't love it. Uh, you and I both give it a three out of five. Yeah, I'm not that crazy about it, but there are some fun things. We now go to a two-pack uh, we keep it over here because they're a sequel to the original, so why not? It's uh, Anatomy from 2000. You might not know this one. It is a German film and uh, still in German, so if that offends you, you can skip this part, I guess. It's a mystery thriller. It's kind of Jallo-ish, but it's also very much, I think, in the vein of Scream at least it has that feel to me. Maybe that's just because it was made think around that's this time. What inspired? Well, I don't mean inspired it like on the whole necessarily, but I think that the style was still I mean, that style was still very prominent. Yeah, in two thousand. 
here, Franca Potenta, thank you, is a student at a very prestigious medical school. And something's going on. People are getting killed. You know, because big surprise, that's what happens in movies like this. But there's a neat twist on it. A lot of them are getting, I forget, plasticized or plasticine. They're getting turned into plastic, basically. There's this whole thing where various museums and med schools and all that have real bodies, but they're covered in plastic, so you can see, like, a person all open up inside. You can see all the organs and the bones and the nerves and the blood vessels and everything. Uh, that's something that happens. It's not really gory. It's used for medical experimentation and education. And that's kind of what's happening to some of the people here. There's also this whole idea of there's a cult of anti-Hippocratics. The Hippocratic Oath being do no harm. These people believe, well, you've got to do harm in order to advance medicine. It's not that they're a bunch of sadists. They are, but it's that's not their end goal. Their no, goal the point is, is basically anything for science. Yes. And, you know, you can't let something like do no harm get in your way. <laughs> so... That's what they're doing, and they're doing harm to people. They're outright murdering them. So, this is going on. She's trying to figure out what's happening. There's a bunch of really cool people in here, and it's very much a murder mystery with some horrific slasher elements. This would actually be a very good contender for ABCs, yes. because this is a film I never hear anyone talk about, and it's really good. I'm I reviewed it when it first came out, and I was impressed. So did I, and that's why... Who released this? Uh, wow. Mill Creek. Good on them. They usually release kind of garbage. Well, you know, they uh, they did... I heard about a release on another show recently that they did that surprised the hell out of me. I think sometimes they yeah. they try to... We have some of their stuff. Climb you know. out. Well, usually they're, they're known for like the 50 packs yes, with but... the bare bones, really shitty ports, like VHS ports to DVDs. They don't... They don't put a lot of money in their releases, but these Blu-rays look pretty good. Yeah. And that's, I, I got this in for review, and I was quite happy to get it. So, uh, I highly recommend it. And the good thing is, these are usually very cheap. So, and just sight unseen, if you take our word for it, it's worth a pickup. In fact, we liked it so much that we both gave it a 4 out of 5. Yeah, definitely worth your time. Solid. And then, if that wasn't enough, there is a, another movie on this two-pack. Surprise, surprise, it's Anatomy 2, the immediate sequel. This sequel came out in 2003, and it's another German medical mystery thriller. But whereas the first movie played things off more for horror, this is far more in the vein of like a Michael Crichton cautionary sci-fi tale, uh, where science and medicine has gone too far. Here, the anti-Hippocratic society is back at it again. And now, they're implanting synthetic muscles into people. And making them drugged out, out of control, basically cyborgs. Well, kind of like the Six Million Dollar Man. Kind like, of. You know, they're, they're high performance. Yeah, they're giving them super strength, super speed, all that stuff. Now, it's all... Everyone has, like, a different power to its speed. It's not cyberware, it's not synthetic, or it is synthetic, they're making it, but it's, you know, organic tissue. But it's just, it's not ready, and it's, you know, malfunctioning, and so there's 
unexpected deaths. There's some people who just kill themselves, there's other people who commit murder, there's other people who just drop dead, and once again, this is at a medical school, so you get a bunch of 20-somethings trying to figure out who's doing it, why, and stuff like that. So it's a different kind of vibe. It's not really Jallo or slasherific, but again, I consider it like a Crichton film. When we watched it for this, I had never seen it before. Okay. This was a first-time watch for me. Obviously, that was redundant, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Had you ever seen this before? I had not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but I was impressed. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't heard good or bad, because nobody talks about these movies. Yeah. So I hadn't heard good or bad or anything, and, and I don't even think I knew it existed. I, I wasn't actively avoiding it. I just hadn't seen it. But I liked it. It was also a first-time watch for me. I knew it was out there. I just never had any desire to see it before getting in for review. So I'm glad it's part of this two-pack. It is a good film. It's so good, in fact, that you gave it a four out of five. And I liked it a little bit less... As usual. Yeah, as usual. Uh, than the first one, I gave it a 3.5 out of five. All right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap up this episode, right? Okay. That's yeah, it. sure. We're coming to an end. Okay. That is the second episode worth of A-Films, and we're not done. No. We've probably got at least two more to go probably. that are going to be A-movies. So, strap yourselves in and hang on. We're going to be in the A's for a while. We hope you're digging the ride with us. That's right. And that also brings a close to this episode of Horror in the House of Salmons. If you have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being out there, and we love you. We do. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for visiting the House of Salmons. We hope to see you back very soon. Until then, come chat with Brian and me on our Facebook group page at Horror in the House of Salmons. And if you like what we do here and want to hear some bonus episodes, consider being a patron at patreon.com slash house of salmons. Special thanks to Rick Morgan for composing our theme music.